is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get it right. No. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this, this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) A new show of the Sports Loud Mouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what is going on, my friends? Well, dealt with some different frustrations yesterday, mostly Rangers-related, but some computer-related, too. But a lot better now, and hoping the Rangers can bounce back a game, too, but probably not. Hoping. That is a great word for all Ranger fans. The word hoping. And we will get into the Rangers just in a few moments. But before we do that, because everybody wants to hashtag ban the beef. (laughs) Of course. We do not want to ban the beef, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, it just seems like it is a, a forsaking thought that everybody wants to ban the beef. But that's... That's another story. Anyways, uh, at 9.45, we'll be talking to JetsInsider.com editor-in-chief, Chris Nimbly. He'll be joining us. Uh, we had him on the show, I would say about... In November, something like that. Seven, eight months yeah. ago. Uh, really, really good. Uh, we'll talk about the Jets, the acquisitions, his thoughts of where the Jets are going into the new season. So that'll be interesting. At 10.15, we'll be talking to co-author of Incredible Baseball Stats, Ryan Spader. He'll be joining us. So that'll be interesting as well. So we'll get into his book uh, and stats of, you know, the past in baseball and in the present. As big, big baseball Hall of Fame guy. So he does a lot of research on guys that should get in and aren't expected to get in either. So there you go. Uh, we have a great show. And uh, the topics we'll get into, we'll get into the Rangers and the Hurricanes. Game number one. Uh, we'll get it. <laughs> we'll get into the Edmonton. Oilers. <laughs> they still haven't stopped the puck. And the Calgary Flames game, uh, where it, which ended with, I think, 15 goals, which yep. is ridiculous. Nine to six. Or 15 or 16 goals, whatever yeah. it was. But anyways, um, we will get into the Heat and Warriors series. And why I say the Heat and Warriors series, because they're both up 1-0. <laughs> Love sticking it to the Celtic fans, by the way. Um, yes, because you're the biggest Warriors fan imaginable, too. <laughs> no, well, there you go. Them, too. Uh, both teams I do not want to see make it to the finals. Could you imagine this? Yeah, you'd have to root for Golden State, which will be painful for you. <laughs> I don't know. But what is wrong with me, Beav? Uh, there's a lot of things wrong with me, but I, I don't want to talk about it on live air because I don't want to scare anybody. Um, uh, we will get into the Max Scherzer injury. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I've been telling Met fans for a long time since that $43 million a year where he's the highest paid baseball player in the league. Well, now he's out six to eight weeks. So, Get ready, Mets fans. Get ready. It's time to crumble. Um, 
we will get into the executives believing that the Nationals will trade Juan Soto and why. Why, ladies and gentlemen? Because I've been saying this for a while. Juan Soto will be gone. I don't know where he's going, but uh, we'll talk about the Blue Jays are actually the lead team to get him. So uh, it'll be very, very interesting moving to the trade deadline. Are the Washington Nationals willing to give up arguably one of the best young players in baseball? Uh, they're going to have to get an emotional uh, not well. Uh, they would have. They would be emotional. The fans would be emotional. But uh, they would be. Get, they would have to give up a boatload of uh, picks and players and 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 future stars to get somebody like Juan Soto. But, Maybe some that are already on the roster right now. <laughs> absolutely. But uh, why don't we get into the Rangers, okay? Because I have a smile on my face, and yeah, I'm sure you do. I do. I have a smile on my face because. Going into the third period, and, and by the way, the first two periods I was at the mechanic. My friend was fixing my car. I had air conditioning problems. My air conditioning wasn't working. It was blowing heat. I, I just had a new compressor put in my car, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. And for some reason, the sealants weren't sealed, and we couldn't keep the what, – what do they call that? Uh, Freon, uh, the Freon inside the compressor, which didn't help me very much when it was hot out. So uh, I went to my friend. He actually fixed it. Hopefully it will stay fixed moving forward, but that's a whole other story. So I was watching the game on my phone. And after the first period, the Rangers were up one nothing. They were dominating the game. And, and I, I've been telling everybody this. In hockey, when you have a certain amount of time off, when you have, I would say, Three to four days of rest. Everybody thinks that benefits the team with rest. In hockey, it doesn't. It just doesn't. Because you have all the momentum when you get out of that series. You have a hot goalie, uh, all that other stuff. And the Carolina Hurricanes, they had three or four extra days off more than the Rangers did. Three, Three days off, the Rangers had two. So going into this series, I expected... The Carolina Hurricanes to be a little bit of cold. A little bit cold. And in the first period, the Rangers dominated. They were skating very well. Their kid line was dominating. Capo Caco was all over the ice. So was, uh, what is his name? Quill or whatever the hell Keedle. is Keedle, whatever his name is. And, and then obviously Lafreniere. They, they were all over the ice. But as the second period came around, you saw Carolina getting the feet under them, their skates under them, and they started shooting more at Shusurking. And even though they got out of the Rangers got out of the, the second period, still won nothing, you could see that the momentum was going towards the Carolina Hurricanes. And in the third period, that's when a great team figures things out and starts dominating. The Rangers didn't have one shot on goal for almost 10 minutes in the third period. And still, it was only one nothing. And as the third period was going along, and I had Jeff texting me, uh, here we go, this is... We're going to see the Rangers win game number one. We're not going to hear it. We're not going to hear enough of it from Ranger fans, a.k.a. the beef. And Tyler, a.k.a. Mothball Beastman Harrison, who wanted to post up all over social media that he was hanging out at Miller's Ale House, and that's why I wasn't going there. <laughs> My favorite place, I was not going over there to Miller's to see that 
incompetent idiot sitting at the bar with all those dopey Ranger fans, hanging out with them, and cheering and listening to the crap that's coming out of their mouth. And, and the and the and the strawberry hennies that might be coming out of Tyler's. Well, you mean coming out of his paws? Because I, I mean, I mean that guy drinks more like a fish. I mean seriously, but that's, I, I, he actually Tyler came, Fishball I, Harrison uh, looks like a fish. Well, he is too big for a fish. Actually, he'd be more like a donkey that could swim or something. Anyways, beluga whale. Beluga whale. That's a good one. I mean. Tyler, a.k.a. Beluga Wells Harrison. That would be good. Anyways, they get back to the third period. What we saw in the third period was Carolina just completely uh, dominate. They, they, they kept moving and using every ability they had to keep the puck out of their zone and put pressure, so much pressure on Shesurkin. And what really happened... With the last three minutes of the game, and I know Ranger fans are saying, Gallant should have called a timeout. Why would Gallant call a timeout when the Rangers were up one nothing and he wants the game to be over? Why would the Rangers want to call timeout to give Carolina some time to figure out what they need to do in the offensive zone to put the puck in the net? That made no sense, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to throw the beef under the bus, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Only a matter of time. Because <laughs> that's what he told me Gallant did wrong. But there was a lot of things that Gallant did wrong in the third period. And there are two things that I look at which made absolutely no sense. He played Panarin too much in the third period when he has done nothing in this series. Nothing. Okay? He didn't play the kid line as much as you expected him, what he did in the first and the second period, he took the kid line off and didn't play the kid line as much as we saw him play play them in the first first period and second period. And we'll put the beef on in just one moment. So wait, beef, we'll put you through. I will say this. If you're a Ranger fan, I know Ranger fans like to you. Get the consolation prize. And the consolation prize for the Ranger fans is we only lost by one. And the Carolina Hurricanes had to beat us in overtime. But Ranger fans should only understand what happened yesterday. And to me, could be a series-ending game Number one loss. Yeah, it seemed like for a while in that third period, they were still weathering the storm well. Shesterkin made some tough saves. You saw a lot of the defensemen get a a lot of block shots, even when the Hurricanes were possessing the puck forever. But that was the main problem, is the Rangers kind of went back to the old, like when Elaine Vino was coaching them, the dump and chase type thing, and it just tired them out. And there were many different moments where Gallant could have called a timeout. It wasn't just that one moment that Ranger fans were complaining about. It was all throughout the last second half of that, the third period. There were many different instances, and I thought the rotations, too, were definitely strange. You saw Gallant change lines a lot in Game 7, and they got different combinations on the ice, and he kind of shied away from it after that. Yes, you're not going to break up the kid line, because they were playing well in that game. He didn't play the kid line in the third period. 
period. But every other one. That was their best line. <laughs> scramble them around. Put these veteran guys together in different combinations. Put more of your defensive forwards out there. Kreider's a good defensive forward. Zibanejad, Goodrow, those types of guys. You're saying Panarin played too much. Yeah. Panarin, Panarin's, too on a much. Defense. Panarin's not a defensive guy. Why is he on the ice against some of their top wingers in the third period in defensive zone situations? Like, I thought they could have strategized it a little better than they did. And they just kind of were just playing not to lose. And that's just, it doesn't work in a one nothing game. If you're up by two goals, 2 nothing at that point, okay. But not one nothing with an offensive team like Carolina the way they are. The, the Hurricanes outshot the Rangers, I think, 15-2 at one point in the third period. Yep. And that can't The happen. Rangers didn't get a shot until 10 minutes yeah. after the third period started. And the Hurricanes had five grade-A scoring chances in that, that first half of the second period. They scored a goal off a rebound, which, yeah, that's going to happen when you, your defense is tired and you're leaving lapses. Just start getting a lot of bad rebounds, too. I'm not going to I'm not gonna discredit him either because uh, that was a bad goal on his part, too. But then Sebastian Ajo, yes, he's a skilled player, but he still should not be alone like that in front of the net. So all in all, I just thought the game planning was really bad. The management was really bad by Gallant. The adjustments, I thought, could have been better, too. All right. Beave, what is up, my friend? I'm going to throw up with Speedy's <laughs> stupid freaking take that he just said on Shesterkin. He stopped the first freaking goal. He was down on his knees, and Trooper didn't do anything to push the guy out of there, and that's why they scored. Speedy, you're lost. You are an idiot. Trooper hasn't played well all postseason. I know that. You are a disgrace to Ranger fans. I'm sorry. You are a disgrace. Okay, it was still, it was still, this is not a great rebound. You should go sit at the bar with the other disgraceful Ranger fan, Tyler Harrison. No, Tyler would, no, Tyler would agree with you probably. Oh my God, I have to actually sit here and listen to this shit that's coming out of your mouth? Holy crap. Uh, was that not a bad rebound, back, Beef? Oh yes, I know God. Truba deserves more blame. Fine, if you want to say that, yes. No, that, you cannot put that goal on Shesterkin. That Shesterkin, that was the reason why the Rangers were in the game in the first place. It was off a rebound. I, it, I was, think, it was off a yeah, exactly. I'm not calling it the worst his, rebound of all time, but he's it's... down it's, on his freaking uh, uh, knees. He's on the ground. And what are the defensemen? The defensemen are just standing there doing nothing. Well, yes, they you shouldn't be doing complete, nothing. I agree with that. You are a complete idiot. I... But Completely it's still idiot. not a good rebound. You just lost all credit. You just lost all credibility as a Ranger fan. It's not I'm a sorry. great rebound. You are an idiot. I love it. It's not oh a great god. rebound for. I gotta sit here and listen to this crap. My god! For a goalie of his caliber. It's, hold on, hold on one oh second. Hold on, god. Beef. It is his no, assessment. It is his it's assessment. assessment. It's a stupid assessment. <laughs> <laughs> Beef, what was the Galan number one thing I just blamed? And, and Galan should definitely call the timeout with two minutes and 57 seconds left. Why would you? Okay, if, if you're a I'll, coach. I'll, I'll, I'll explain. Okay, I'll explain. let's hear this. Okay, here we go. So, so Carolina was just pounding on them, pounding on them, pounding on them. They had the puck in the offensive zone almost the whole third period, right? Mm-hmm. So you take that timeout. Mm-hmm. You settle the boys down. You, you talk to them. You know, you got to you got to calm them down and say, listen, there's two minutes left. You know, let's just try to play great defense and get out of here with this one nothing win. You got to calm them down. They were they were just getting they were getting destroyed on the offensive zone. You have to call a timeout. You do you do know that the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes is Rob Brindamore, right? Yeah. And you do know that Rob Brindamore this year, uh, I think the numbers were when uh, you know at timeouts. I think at certain timeouts in certain regular season games that 
that every time they called a timeout or a certain amount of games they called a timeout, they scored goals. You okay. do not give the Carolina Hurricanes a time or time to figure out how to get into the offensive zone and how to put more I, pressure on your team. I understand that, but, but, but your players, I think the Rangers were getting, they were so tired. You're up one to nothing. You don't call a timeout to give them the opportunity to come back. Uh, you want to get, it's three minutes a, left of the game. Your players. All right, this is what you, you, you do. You get your toughest guys on the ice, Reeves. You get your your fast guys. I, I would have played. I would have played four offensive players and one defensive player. That's what I would have done. I would have put my best defensive player on the ice, and Whoa. I would have put my four. Hold on, I would have put my four toughest speed guys on the ice to forecheck and try to Whoa. run out that time. That's well, what I was other, gonna, because yes, you know. Hold on, because you know what Carolina is going to do. With two minutes left of the game, especially down one nothing, they're going to pull yes. the goalie. That's what they're going to yes. do, right? Of course. So yes. what I would have done is I would have put Reeves out. I would have put my my three kids out there. I would have put Kako out there, Lafiniere out there, and the other kid, Heedle. Heedle. I would have put those three guys out because they have looked the best on the ice throughout the game. In the first two periods, those three guys were dominant. They were forechecking. So, they were and doing so everything. Was Lindgren. And so was Lindgren. Lindgren was the reason why the goal went in. Well, because he put his stick in the air like an idiot. Well, yes. It's his fault. It is, it is his, his fault. fault. He shouldn't have put that stick up in the air like the that. The reason yes. why Carolina tied the game was because of Lindgren. So well, I, you ever, I'm not going to blame Shashurkin on the first goal. In the overtime, yes, it deflected off the puck. Let me ask you a question. You know, first of all, that they're going to probably throw the puck towards the net. Okay? They're going to do yes. They're going to do that because that's what Carolina does. They like throwing the puck. They, and they know Shashurkin has been giving up a ton of rebounds in that game. He gave up every time the puck hit him in the pad. It was bouncing off, and there was open. Yeah, he was giving up a lot of rebounds, but yes, that's fine. All right. All right. So knowing that, why? I repeat, why was Shesterkin playing outside of the crease? Okay? Why was he playing outside of the crease? Now, I know he's trying to cut down the angles, but why? Cutting down the angles, he saw, he saw the puck coming right at him. He did. He saw the puck coming right at him. Why? And I, I know it deflected off. I, I what, what is that saying? You what did he say? What did Snug say? Uh, if the Rangers had thrown some No, that's not what I'm reading. The last one. Nope, that's why he blew uh, the play. No, some, uh, something to Jeff of Weavers again. <laughs> Listen, I, I, Jeff wants to make this joke with the waivers, but I'm not the only one, and I'm not going to get into the waiver thing tonight. So Jeff could say and make jokes all he wants. I could care less. What he says about the dumb fucking waiver thing. Excuse my language, guys. I I, I don't want to get into that. I, that was all about no, that, but, you know. Uh, but, but, last, but another, last show. another another point that you yes. made that I yeah. I agree with is that Gallant did not play the kid line enough. He what didn't is, he should have? He should have played then? them more. He was hurt, so using error logic, he should have needed one. Mm. Well, Ling- Lindgren's been back the last three games. He's mm. he's not a hundred percent, but he's not, no, it's not, he's not a concussion but the, protocol. But, but he was the reason why we um we won that Pittsburgh series. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, he played phenomenal in Game Seven. He was but, but okay anyway, but, in Game but, Six, but, but like serviceable. Errol, but yeah, Errol, Errol said before that Galante didn't play the kids enough in the third period. Right. He didn't. 
and he, you're 100 percent right on it. And I don't understand why he didn't. Do and that. this is what, and this is the problem with a lot of these veteran coaches in all sports. They do it all the time, and this has been a big problem. And why do you think Barry Trotz doesn't have a job with the Islanders right now? Barry Trotz doesn't have an have a job with the Islanders. By the way, there's a new lead team to get him, and that's the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm. Just so everybody knows that. So. And he might he might end up in the same division as the Islanders and the Rangers. Who would have thought but, that? But, but anyway, anyway, you can't you can't put this loss on Shostak, and it's not his fault that he lost this game. No, uh, the the main loss is on the offense because they and dump that, and chase too much. It's not even on the offense; it's it's more on the defense. Because but he, also, you, I'm, I'm going to say this: you're not going to blame Shostak because there was only two goals given up, but he only had 26 shots on him. 26 shots. Yeah, but that 24 was saves. Two goals. It's not his fault, though. I mean, it's just, it's not. Both the shots were deflected. Both of them. Both well, goals well, well, were well, deflected. One was, off a, one, one was off a rebound. That wasn't his fault. And then the other one was not his fault either. So both those goals was not his fault. It was on the defense. The fact is, man, that is, that's a killer. That game, that goal. Well, it is a killer because it was a killer. Two periods, and then the third mm-hmm. period, they, just, they, didn't, they didn't look at it all. And in hockey, it's all. Uh, when hockey. When you watch hockey, it's all about momentum. And now you gave Carolina a reason why they believe they can they can go through this series one, two, three. And I believe going into game number two, the fans are well, going to be louder. Hold on one second. Yes. The fans are yes. going to be louder. There's going to be more pressure on Shesterkin to win this game. And if the Rangers go home 2-0, they're not winning both games against Carolina. They're just not. They're not. Because... I believe Carolina could completely end this series in five games if they win well, game number two. I mean, well, you saw in one of the series where mostly the home teams won. And that the, was the Bruins and the Hurricanes, so, yes. Yes, well, so it can happen, you know. But going down 2-0, the, the chances with the Rangers is not going to look good if they go down 2-0. Well, they've relied so on, yeah. They, They've relied they on the comebacks a lot. The games. They get to play this is not the this is not the Pittsburgh Penguins. This I is understand not. that. I'm not, I'm not comparing. I'm, do, I'm just saying because 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 right now Speedy just said, "Well, they've come back a lot. Yeah, that's great. This isn't the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that a lot of people believe are Stanley Cup bound. They're a team that a lot of people believe is going to win the East. It doesn't matter who wins the next series, Tampa or Florida. They're going to beat both of them." Okay, so if they get out of this Rangers series, which I think they're going to fly right out of this series, because I think the Rangers. I don't know if they're going to fly. Oh, out of this I think it. I think this. I think this series ended in game number one. It's either, either going to be in six or seven. That's no way. If it if, if it is six, no there's going to be a lot of ugly games. You predicted though. six. By the I way. predicted. Six. I did predict six, but I, there's going to be some ugly games. But after so, game so. number one, I don't know if it's going six. I don't. I predicted well, six. I don't think it's going six because uh, after. They took the they took all the oxygen out of the Rangers winning that game. The Rangers, what was it? Two minutes well, and thirty seconds left of the game, and the Rangers had a one nothing lead. They completely kept the Carolina Hurricanes off the board for almost a full game. Shesterkin was probably saying, "Ah, oh, my first shutout of the playoffs, my first shutout in playoff history for my for me." Uh, I don't think. And then all of it, I I thinking about trying to get the win. Uh, I don't know, man. You know, in order to do that, he needed the shutout at that time. <laughs> I don't know, man, because I think this is... Well, here's another thing that the Rangers could have ended it when Kako missed that wide open net. Well, yeah, but there's it was a whole compilation of the third period. I want to know the exact, like, time of possession, too, because the 
Hurricanes seemed like they had the puck in the offensive zone for like in 13 third, minutes of that period, period at least. In, in, in the third period, they yeah, had, yeah which is a big yeah. problem for the Rangers because they it looked like Elaine Vigneault coaching them again. They were all they were doing was dumping and chasing, and then they well, ended up icing the puck too much, or the defenseman couldn't clear it. Whatever ended up happening, how many flailed well, clear attempts were in that third period? That, you mentioned Truba. You mentioned Truba out of position all the time. He, he also made so many bad passes and bad clears too. And then there were a couple from the young defensemen too. Which go ahead, Speedy. Oh. Go ahead. Did anybody, any Ranger fan, can complain about the play calls or the the ref calls in game number one? I want to hear it. Let's no, I, I I didn't oh, think there, there were. Was, there was there was there was there was one missed call on Kako, and that was it. Oh, okay. so it wasn't the referee's fault this game. No, but they did miss that call on Kako. They missed a hooking call on him. All right, so they miss hooking calls all the time. They miss penalty that, calls was, all the time. Was, but this one was this one was so obvious that they I don't know how they missed it. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. That wasn't the reason they lost. He was, he, he was going to the net and he got hooked and he couldn't shoot the puck. I mean, it was right in front of the ref and he he didn't blow the whistle at all. So that was that was that was horrible. Do you but, want me to blow the whistle for you? Would you yeah, like me to do. blow the whistle for you? Well, but also be, it, was, it was before before that Kako had missed a wide open net also. So <laughs> it's he, he's he's got to bury that. I'm sorry, he's got to bury that shot. Mm-hmm. You want to bury it for him? <laughs> Do you want to bury? I, I still, I still think Kalan made a mistake by not playing the young kids, and he made a mistake by not calling the timeout. Well, I, I think that was the biggest mistake for the New York Rangers in I game think number those one. The biggest mistakes that they that no, Gallant the biggest mistake, the number one mistake for the Rangers was the three what? youngsters not playing really at all I, game, I, 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 I in agree. the third period. I agree. I, so now I, going I, forward, do you think he plays them more? I don't know. I, I don't know what Galan is thinking, but I'm going to tell you this right now: Galan has not looked good in the playoffs for the Rangers. He hasn't. He hasn't looked good. And I don't care if they won game number it's uh, series number one against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They only won series number one is because they had Dominion goal the whole series because it was they were up three to one with the third string goalie. And if 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 Jari played for the rest of that series, that series would have ended and wouldn't have won to game seven. And I don't care what any Ranger fan tells me. Deming was horrible in that series, and the fact that he was they decided to play him. And wait until game number seven to play Jari was the biggest mistake for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I'm saying that because Jari's horrible, too. So he's just much better than Deming. Deming was horrible, man. That goal in game number six that he gave up with, the, what, 30 seconds left to the game was yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrible. Trying to catch the puck. He thought it was in his glove and it was in the net. Okay? Mm-hmm. Horrible. By the way, we have Jeff well, on the other side. <laughs> well, don't, don't the, put him through. Then I don't want to hear his fat ass. On Capo Caco, caused him to miss a wide open net. <laughs> Wait, was it the missed penalty? Why he missed Hang a up wide on him, open net him. to win the game? <laughs> How about the Rangers? Just, they just Hang played up. their best game of the playoffs by far. Shostarkin was really good. I'm Hang not up on shitting on how they played. You can nitpick Lindgren. You can nitpick Truba. That's fine. I'm all for that, right? You can have criticisms of your team. But you lost the game because Capo Caco shit his pants with a wide open net. <laughs> oh Let's try to keep the curses out of the show. We're gonna get us into trouble. Hang, hang up on him. Hold on oh, one I'll second. Hold. Oh, put put Jeff on hold just one second. We'll get the beef off and we'll talk more a little bit more hockey with Jeff. Uh, I want to hear that fat. Part. All right, all right, <laughs> right. No cursing on the show. We said this. I didn't go drown in the pool and freaking All right. to the so bottom. What else stink. do you want to? What, what else do you want to add? add no, to? I'm, I'm just saying that I think Gallant made a huge mistake with that. I think he did, 
And I think if and, Galan... uh, going forward, if he if he wants to win this series, he's going to have to play these young kids a little more. And don't play. I don't like him playing around with the lines because he plays around with the lines too much. Well, I don't, I don't like. I don't like that he does that. Well, I think the Rangers need to wake up and smell whatever well, they're going to smell. And, and smell the roses. Smell their underwear. Panarin, Panarin is a bit of jack. Got to do something. Panarin needs to. Get, Panarin needs to get his his fingers out of you know what and open up his eyes. He is not playing hurt. Stop it. Um, he is not hurt. He's skating you. just fine around the ice, man. He is out skating everybody to the offensive zone. He is not hurt. I don't want to hear that he's hurt. There's no excuse. Well, the guy it, doesn't show up out, in the playoffs. He doesn't. And, and if it comes out that he's hurt, then what? All right. How much you want to bet he's not hurt? How I'm much you want to bet? If it, com- if it comes out after How the series that Panarin... Everybody's hurt. You play 82-game season, full-contact sport. Everybody's there's hurt. Something, there's something wrong. You know, Panarin hasn't been right ever since that whole Russia scandal. Oh, so we're going to blame the Russian scandal. He was great the whole season when he played. He had it was six no, in the league in assists. He was he sixth in the league in assists, dude. He had the he most. Have, he had the most assists out of any Ranger in history in one season. Yeah, no, but he didn't have a good season for a year. He missed a month and a half or something like that. He he had seventy five assists, which he was sixth in the NHL. Yeah, many, he had a games? he had a down year goal scoring, but he had his best year of his career. I don't know assists. if I got if I had a guy that scored twenty six goals. Uh, and a down year, that's not bad for yeah, me. Yeah, but for, <laughs> for him, that, that, that's a down year for him. Okay. Yeah, all right. All right. Not, he didn't score it, 40 goals. Right. Think about it this way, Beef. Him and Chris Kreider kind of essentially switched their normal role. Kreider had the best goal-scoring year of his career and the best in the league, and Panarin had a more of an assist year. Usually, it's the other way around. Well, Kreider's he, always been known as a better passer. Kreider didn't score the most goals in the league. This year. No, no, no. I'm talking about the team. No, but, he didn't. But, but you're, yeah, he, if, if this, Panarin does if, how, how many games have you watched this year? How many games have I watched this year? How many Rangers. full range of games have you watched this year? Uh, something in the 50s. Why? I watched every single game. Okay. So, I know this team inside and out. Okay. And okay, so has- I got a question for you. You know this. Uh, what color underwear does uh, Shostarkin like to wear? That I don't know. You, you just said you, to you to know that. everything from the team. That, you're such you took idiot. it way too literally. <laughs> I got to be uh, well, And what is wrong with your hair today? What's wrong with my hair? I don't know. It looks like it's like the bird's nest. I don't know. Well, listen, I didn't put a hat. That's why. Listen, man, I didn't want to wear <laughs> bird's nest. Looks like a bird got into it or something. I don't know. Man. Yeah, I'll tell you who got into it, but I want to say it on live radio. Oh, no. <laughs> you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you had for lunch today, man. But no. Hopefully. Uh, little, you know, over this way, but it must be good. Yeah, you, well, you're gonna have to ask your mom what I had for lunch. <laughs> Speedy, how about yours? Nope. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, says who Tyler? You, yeah, you think I'm crazy with my takes? You guys are out of your damn mind too. Well, we love you too, <laughs> Beef. So yeah, well, well. Anyways, Beef, thank well, you. You got it. I'll talk to you guys later. Beef. Uh, he'll be listening to the show, I'm sure. Uh, let's put him on. Let's put him through. Jeff, what's going on? Dude, this is actually ridiculous. Like, it's actually ridiculous. The encyclopedia of, a di- uh, like, excuses he has, right? <laughs> you want to see Gallant do something different. It's fair to have criticisms of your team. Oh, well, well, our guys are banged up. 
Yeah, Kevin Fiala from the Wild had a dislocated rib, a broken rib, and a punctured lung, and still played. Dumba had a broken rib too. <laughs> right. So this is what I'm saying is, Errol's point is completely correct. Show me one healthy person in the playoffs, and I'll show you a minor leaguer that just got called up. <laughs> right? And there should have been another one that get, should have got called up, Zach Jones. They should never play Patrick Nemeth but, again, but that's besides the point. But, but every guy that's playing right now is hurt. Every one of them is hurt. So bla- so he's blaming injuries. Like like Carolina just got, came back from a, a week at the spa. Oh, they're all rested up. Right? They had one more Carolina. day of rest than the Rangers did. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's an encyclopedia of it's. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's. Oh, uh, they missed a hooking call on Capo Caco. Really? Is that why he missed a wide open net, or did he just poopy his pants? <laughs> well, I I will say this. They because played Capo Caco buries that they win. Yes. Right? Yes. They, they win, yep. and then the and then the narrative is completely different. Then the narrative is we have such a great team. We shut out Carolina. We're amazing. <laughs> Stanley Cup is ours. But instead, Capo Caco poopied himself and now blame everything. <laughs> no, you know what you know what I, I I enjoyed is after the game, usually if the Rangers win, Tyler Harrison posts up. The Rangers win. Uh, and they, he posts up a statistic for Shesterkin that he was dominant and all this other stuff. I haven't seen anything. Anything from Tyler Harrison. Well, I would well, have Shisterkin loved. Play. I thought Sisterkin had a good game. Yeah, he, he did have a good, game. Nothing, he did a good and, game. And not for nothing, the game turned because the third period, the Rangers just basically played the equivalent of prevent defense right. in football. They, mm-hmm. they had no offense, and they just said, screw it, we're just going to play defense. But up until then, the first period and the second period, how many shots did Carolina have in the first period? Four? Yeah. Like four total shots? What they have in the second period? Like, like six? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? the, the Rangers so, were playing too much dump and chase in the third. It, it felt like Elaine Vigneault was coaching again. I understand that, but the, the Ranger defense was actually spectacular in that game. Like, if you actually go and compare how they how they played, imagine only giving up four shots in a period to one of the highest scoring offenses in hockey. You take it every day. That's great defense. Well, yeah, because a lot of people thought Carolina was going to score three or four goals in this game. They could, and, and I think it had a lot to do with them being out for a little bit of time, but, and they needed to get their feet under them. But you could see the difference of this team and, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is, this is a completely oh, different team. Yes, it's right. night and day, dude. It's night and day. You, you are literally dealing with a team, by the way, in Pittsburgh. You want to talk injuries. They don't even beat Pittsburgh if Brian Dumoulin plays. Mm-hmm. Brian Dumoulin was out there. Defense was down. They had a third-string goalie, and you're celebrating because we beat them in seven games. Now you're playing a real team, and it's 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 excuse heaven. Uh, by the way, and by, and, by the, and by the way, they didn't even have their starting goalie. Frederick Anderson hasn't even played in the playoffs right. yet. Honestly, Ron's has been great in the playoffs. He has yes, been. Yes. He has been. And they're not going to rush Anderson back, but – Anderson is the better goalie. And anybody Anderson is the better goalie. Yes, yes. So they're getting they're getting the Rangers are getting the best draw they possibly could have gotten on the planet, not facing a single number one goalie. And yet it's excuses everywhere. It's Gallant not calling timeout. It's the defense. Oh, they missed a hooking call on Capo Caco. Oh, 
it's this, oh, the referees hate New York. Really, the referees hate New York? How about that phantom call they called on Ryan Lindgren <laughs> after he cross-checked Rodriguez? Rodriguez just gets up and just checks Lindgren, and they call the penalty, right? The referees have been helping New York this whole playoffs, helping them. And you want to know something? When you look at this series, this this series could have been this game could be the dagger of the series because to have a one nothing lead with two minutes and thirty seconds left of the game and not win the game against a team that really wasn't playing at the top of their game that says a lot about Carolina when they start playing at the top of their game. The series is not over. It is only one game. Although I would just say this and. I, and listen, I hate the Rangers, and I hate Ranger fans especially. I think they're all mouth-breathing pukes, right? <laughs> so, but here's the thing. The Rangers just played their best game of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They did. That was a fantastic game they just played. Shesterkin, that's the best game he played in the playoffs, hands down, right? And they still lost. That has to be demoralizing. Mm. That has to be demoralizing. Absolutely, yeah. Snuck says, the Pens were 900 years old. This was their swan song. <laughs> Hashtag ban the beef. Hashtag right. pray for Bayshore. OMG, right. is the right. beef blaming Putin for Panarin's problems? <laughs> and, and and they had they got to play games with Sidney Crosby out, right? They had no Brian Dumoulin, but yet the refs were helping them. That terrible call on Rodriguez was the one, is honestly the biggest joke I've ever seen. But yet he's complaining the refs don't help the Rangers more. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm like, is it, what world does he live in? Banana Land? There it is. <laughs> yes. The return of Banana Land. Uh, no, bef- but honestly, like, honestly, that, that game was refed, I think, pretty freaking good. It was a good right? refing game, yes. Yeah. yes right. But he's still nitpicking them because it just wasn't the way. No, he, he didn't wanted. say anything. He didn't, he didn't blame. He just said the cop, capo caco call should have been called. That's it. He says everything else was good. You know, and so. nothing and nothing matters if Capo Caco hits the net. Mm. Nothing matters if, true. if he hits right. the net. That's true, right? right? And did he hit the net? No. All alone from just about ten feet away. Mm-hmm. By the way, he was ten feet out, and the net is is six feet wide. And wide right? open, and wide open. By the way, and wide open. And the and remember when they drafted him and he was like, Oh, I love Capo Caco. Yeah. Oh, what a we got Capo Caco, what a great pick. I was there. He's I was there at so the draft. Great. I was there at the yeah. draft. Does he think the pick is so great now? <laughs> well, I will say this. I and I'm 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 not trying to put the ranges down. Lafiniere so far has been a bust, and Capo Caco right now has been a bust. Both players have been bust. I know it's early. They're both young. Kako's, what, 21 years old? And, and Lafanier's 20. They're kids. But two years into... Capo Kako's been in the league for three. Lafanier's been in the league for two. And Lafanier was started the season off really, really good and just completely fell off. And he played a lot of games this year. He did nothing this year. And and it, to me, if I'm a he's Ranger fan... He's been pretty fan, good in the playoffs, though. He's been pretty good. He, he, he has been good in the playoffs. And he's been both playing good defense in the playoffs, too, Lafreniere. Both of them have been very good in the playoffs. But I, I, to me, what, what I've seen with this Ranger team and some of the youngsters on this team, these guys were high picks and they're still not developed. That worries me as a development organization. The Rangers do not know how to develop players. Capococco goes somewhere else. And he'll become the 40, 50 goal scorer that everybody thought he was going to be. Because I remember when he came into the league, people said that his game was very comparable to Timo Solani. That's what I heard. 
You know, the guy could. You, you, Everyone was saying he was a left-handed Solani. Yeah. Everyone was Everybody saying that. Everybody said that his game was comparable to Timo Solani. That's what everybody said he was. When I was at the draft, everybody said that this guy is a, a gunslinger. This guy is going to be a 40, 45 goal scorer at, you know, after you know, his first one or two seasons. This guy is going to score 40 to 45 goals. The guy hasn't even been close to that. He's lucky to hit double digits. I mean, <clears throat> he's, he's been horrible. To, he's lucky to even get the puck on net. Uh, it's yeah. been horrible. Yeah. It's been horrible. Before before we get our guests, I want to get into that Calgary Flames game, the Edmonton Oilers and Calgary Flames game. I will say this. I will say this. That was one of the best offensive hockey playoff games I've ever seen. That game. It was actually one of the worst. I, I thought it was so fun to watch. You didn't like that? I'd ra- I would rather see a hockey game played with one of those shooter tutors. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Do you, Speedy, do you know what a shooter tutor is? I do not, but I, I, <laughs> I figure it's something weird. It's, it's the board that they tie to the net that just has the corners open. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, they call it the shooter tutor because that's what you put in net like during practices. To play, no, that's what they that's on. what they use that's what they use for some of the All Star Game Fest uh, competitions. Right, stuff, I, yeah. I would yeah. right like watching those two goalies. I, it it looked like Beave was in net. <laughs> it was horrible. Oh. It looked terrible. It was. I, I thought it was fun to watch. It was back and forth, goal scoring. The 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 the, the horns were going off. The crowd's going crazy. I've never seen that many goals scored in a playoff game in a very long time. I, I don't even remember Celtics the last one. Up 20, Celtics up I'm watching uh, it. We're watching it. Half. We're watching it right now. We, we gotta love it, don't you? Uh, twenty burn in the net. Twenty uh, twenty-five for, points. Yep. Twenty for Tatum. Fifteen for Jalen Brown. And it, it looks 12 like for Grant Williams yes. and eight for Pritchard. Yes. But um, getting back to this, this Calgary Flames game, I, I think Calgary's going to win this series because as good as the Edmonton Oilers are when it comes to their, their, their first and second line, which they're fantastic. Nylander, uh, you have uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl. These guys are great goal-scoring players. They're fantastic. I think at the end of this series, I think Edmonton's going to have to sit down. The or management's going to have to sit down, and they're going to have to decide. This team, just like Toronto, and Toronto's going to have to figure that out in the offseason too. you got all these players, all these players, and you just can't get over the hump. The Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs can't get out of the first round. The Edmonton Oilers, the Oilers can't get out of the problem, second round. Yeah, but- right, but the Oilers, you're, you're talking like the Oilers have all of these problems. They don't. They, they're a very good goal-scoring team, and their defense is – not great, but it's not bad, right? It's a, it's probably just about a very solid, just solid off uh, defense. Right. Their problem is goaltending. Find one meatball to stop the puck, and they'll be. They like, had a chance to get Valam off, and they didn't. They didn't pull the trigger. Right, but they but you got to they got to they were asked to give up too much. They'll find a decent goalie in the offseason somehow, some way. But right now, it's a mess. And as soon as they find a goalie, dude, look at where this team was halfway through the season. Were they in last place? Because they were pretty darn close to it, I think. They were. And and I, I also think with the Edmonton Oilers, they just they don't play good team defense. They don't. And, they, and, they yeah, have Darnell Nurse probably had the worst game I've ever seen him play. Right, but Darnell Nurse is one of the most solid dudes yeah, on the is. planet. He's by very the way, good. His, and by the way, his cardio is second to none. He probably plays... 50 of the 60 minutes of a hockey game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So they'll they'll figure it out. They just need a goaltender. Mike Smith ain't, ain't it. No. And who was the dude they had originally? 
It's Koskinen. He's still there too. Koskinen. Yeah, he's right, the backup he, now. Yeah, dude, he stinks. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he stinks. He's he terrible. Stinks. Dude, put the shooter tutor in that, and they win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> Errol, I broke a toe last night. Who knew it would hurt as bad as it does? I will say this. I have broken many, many toes playing hockey, okay? Fractured toes. Not broken them completely. Fractured the toes. Being hit with a puck in the foot, uh, being you know tripped and falling uh, and, and, and like damaging my big toe. So I have a messed up feet. A matter of fact, I have bone spurs in both my feet and my right foot. I've been told by my doctors that I need uh, foot surgery for years and my feet will never be the same. I have sneakers I can't even wear anymore. I have $300 sneakers that I bought years and years ago that I can't wear because of the tightness and how uh, I guess you could say wide my feet are. So it, it's horrible. It, it, it's the worst thing to have. You could say bad hands, bad knuckles, bad anything. The worst thing to have is bad feet because you do everything with your feet. And I, I could I could tell you right now, having bad feet as much as I have over the years, I can never play hockey again the way I used to play. And I, I don't know if I could you know, run up and down a basketball court for more than 15, 20 minutes. Right now I can't. But because of my hip surgery, but when I actually get 100% healthy, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that anymore. It's crazy. And I'm in great shape. So it doesn't make sense. I did have White Castle today. I would say that. <laughs> That's not good. Okay. So I didn't eat very healthy. I haven't eaten very healthy the last couple of, last couple of weeks. But uh, I do, you know, I'm trying to get back into shape. Well, I'm in shape, but, you know, better shape. I would love to say I broke it with some macho war story but it broke it on my baby's bouncer wow how did you break your toe on a baby's bouncer i mean were you trying to hop on the baby's bouncer <laughs> you broke your toe on it. i bashed into it oh i got it well i hope you feel better man i i wouldn't i i, I broke toe is it bruised is it is it very fat what is it what is it like because if it's fat you, what I would do if I were you, you can get popsicle sticks. I know you're going to probably laugh at this. This this actually works. You get two popsicle sticks uh, or you tape your whichever toe it is connected to the, the better toe. Tape it together and it'll keep it stable. It'll stabilize it. But Or you can use – you could cut a popsicle stick and put it on the bad toe and tape that and it'll keep it straight. That's another way. So just a little splint, a little little idea. Uh, that I use playing hockey. So just give you some advice. I got it taped. Yeah, taping it is the best way to go. Why don't we get into the Warriors series? Uh, Last night, uh, winning a game, they just completely outplayed the Dallas Mavericks. It looked like the game was close. It looked like he was going to stay close going into the second half. And then the Warriors just pulled away offensively, and they dominated. They, They took Luka Doncic out. I have no idea. No idea why Phoenix couldn't do that in that series. They're a better all-around defensive team than the Golden State Warriors, and I know they play the triangle offense and all that other stuff. Golden State is not known for their team defense. They're really not. I mean, everybody's going to say, well, they've been one of the best team-defending defending teams every single year. Yeah, but this team is not the same team that they were when, when um, Thomas Thompson was healthy. And Draymond Green's older. So... And they didn't play very good defense against the, the Memphis Grizzlies. They really didn't. John Morant was killing them until, obviously, Jordan Poole hurt him. So uh, me and Jeff were talking about that whole Jordan Poole thing. I, I believe it was intentional. He says that he doesn't think it is. But 
getting back into that series, uh, the, game number one for the Dallas and, and Golden State. Listen, Golden State is the better team. They're the better team. Hands down, they're the better team. But we saw what Luka Doncic could do and how he could change his series. We've seen LeBron do it year in and year out. If you have a superstar player that can take over games and hit big shots and big points of the game, you can win those games. LeBron did it for the Cavaliers for years before he went to Miami and then came back and won another champion, won another championship over there in, uh, in Cleveland. To me, Dallas, I thought, was going to put up a fight. I don't know if this series is going to go past five. I, and it sucks because I wanted to see the Western Conference with Phoenix and Golden State because I thought that would go seven games and we would be talking about, uh, to me, the best point guard in the NBA, the best point guard of our generation and Chris Paul versus the guy that everybody thinks is a top five point guard of all time. <laughs> Some people even think of the second best point guard of all time. In Steph Curry. And we'll get into the Celtics and the Miami Heat, Jeff. But going back into this Golden State series, uh, series with the uh, Dallas Mavericks, I think this series ended last night because as good as Luka Doncic is, if they're not going to get team offense from Tim Hardaway Jr., Brunson, these guys need to score. And if they don't score and they're going to put all the pressure on a guy like Luka Doncic, you saw what Golden State can do defensively if they take Luka Doncic out of the game. They have a tremendous amount of offense. You have Wiggins, who can score. He averaged 17 points a game. You have... Obviously, Steph Curry that can average average twenty five game twenty five points a game. You have Clay Thompson who came back this year is averaging twenty points a game, and then Jordan Poole who was fantastic this year averaged twenty two points a game. You have all these offensive players. Luka Doncic is one player. He's not scoring fifty points every single game, guys. He's just not. And this, I, I, as much as I thought Phoenix was the best team in the West. Phoenix did not play like the best team in the playoffs. Golden State has. They have, and they have the pedigree. They've won championships. Draymond Green has won championships before. Steph Curry has won championships before. Klay Thompson has won championships before. This is a winning organization. So for anybody to sit here and say, you know what, this is going to be another upset, and Dallas is going to run all over Golden State, and I, I hate the Golden State words. Anybody that knows no, know. me, anybody that listens to this show knows I can't stand the Golden State Warriors. Can't stand them. I can't stand Steph Curry. I cannot stand Draymond Green. <laughs> okay, and Klay Thompson. I love him as a player. I really do. I think he's one of the best two-way players in the league when he's 100 percent healthy. Klay Thompson doesn't know when to shut up either, off on and off the court. This team has been a cocky team ever since they've been put together. And I think Steve Kerr is one of the worst head coaches in basketball. If the Mavericks lose game number two, this series is over. It's over. They don't stand a chance. Because even if they go back to Dallas and win a game, if you go down 3-1 to one against the Golden State Warriors, you're not coming back. Now, I thought Memphis was the probably the best team in the Western Conference to surprise everybody and knock off the Golden State Warriors. But after John Morant got hurt, it was never the, it, they were never going to be able to keep up offensively with that unbelievable offensive style of basketball, the, the triangle offense they like to run. But obviously, when you look at the big picture and you look at where the, the, the Golden State Warriors are and where the Dallas Mavericks are going into the series, Golden State is going to be the favorite. 
hands down the favorite, even though Luka Doncic probably is the best player in this series. Jeff, call back later. We got to get our guest on. I'm glad to see that you have a guest that's not the bead. You might actually get some good takes. That kid's an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> oh, Jeff from Tampa. How wonderful. Anyways, we'll go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have our special guest. We are get him, we're going to have him on again, and I'm so happy to have him on. He's a Jets insider. As everybody knows, I'm a Jet fan, so it'll be very interesting to hear now what his thoughts of the Jets after the draft and after this offseason of free agency. When we come back here, we'll be talking to Editor-in-Chief Chris Nibley here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Why not the first 45 minutes to have the beef and Jeff from Tampa on the phone, our guests, well, our fans, calling up and going at it with one another. But now we have our first guest of the show. Happy to have him back on. We are now talking to JetsInsider.com editor-in-chief. Chris Nimbly. What's going on, Mr. Nimbly? What's going on, Chris? How are you, man? Not too much. Yeah. A little bit of a mess over here. And I haven't been using the internet, so it kind of crapped out as soon right, as man. I needed to. Anyways, uh, just so everybody knows, we are talking to JetsInsider.com, editor-in-chief Chris Nimbley. We were looking to talk to, talk to him uh, after the Jets' wonderful draft and what they've done so far in this offseason. So why don't we get to it? Chris, what were your thoughts of Sauce Garner? going four, uh, Garrett Wilson going 10, and then the Jets trading up back into the first round at 26 to get Jermaine Johnson. Three, the triple five, what do they call it, the trifecta? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of the Jets and their first round? You can't really argue with the positions of need that they got there. There's a lot of talk about Wasala's system, and they didn't need the top flight guy. And they, they do kind of have that um, theory, but they make exceptions for certain players. If, if they will make exceptions for an elite guy, they will not turn that down. And they think this kid has all the traits to be elite physically, and they just fell in love with him. Personality from a mental standpoint, just that the kid himself, um, they, they just couldn't uh, have asked for a cleaner uh, prospect there. So that was a no-brainer for them. And then they still were sitting there thinking about Jermaine Johnson at 10 and kind of going back and forth. But they opted to say, you know, we need to get Zach Wilson some more help. So they went to lean there and they went with Wilson. Uh, I probably would have waited a, a little bit uh, personally, uh, but I get their the thought there because going for Wilson, they wanted a guy with the, the best release, best beat press man coverage. That's what they wanted in the offense to, to go with Zach Wilson. So they got that. And then Joe Douglas did what he does, and he he played the board. He waited, and then he waited. He called teams up asking, okay, and then he waited until somebody came with an offer like that. He's like, okay, that's worth it. I will trade up for Jermaine Johnson. So he got two huge needs on defense and got Zach Wilson another target. And the first round, that's that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Ideally, you'd like a little more help on offense, but you, you can't nitpick too much there. 
So what do you think about the day two draft picks? A lot of a lot was made about how the Jets got a great value with Brees Hall and Jeremy Ruckert as well, and even some of the later ones to trading up and getting great value there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, I am a believer in analytics and all this, so you do have some of the analytics crowd that is criticizing it because the trades because you're giving up a a fifth round value equivalent. And I thought that's just kind of absurd. Like we're talking about the equivalent of a fifth round draft pick. You can give that up, especially in a weak draft class. Go ahead and package those late round picks up for higher picks. I have no problem with that. And you get, I'm generally a believer in the wait to get a a running back crowd too. But I think around the early second round is where you want to get those guys sometimes. And they did that last year with Michael Carter. They waited and they said, okay, we got Michael Carter. Now they have Michael Carter, a very specific type of running back. So you can't just wait on any running. You don't want a Michael Carter clone. So they get Brees Hall, who's like a, who could be a 30 touch uh, a guy game, who's the explosive downhill power guy that they need. But he can also uh, be a receiving back. He can do it all. So, like, I have no problem going and being like, all right, this is a little richer than we would normally like to spend on the running back. But let's do it here. The Rucker pick, you know, they they signed the, the two tight ends this offseason so they don't have to need anything big out of him right away, which is just huge for a tight end. They usually take a little bit to develop. There's somebody that, you know, in this system that I'm not, don't want to throw out the George Kittle comparison. I'm not going to say he's going to be anywhere near that good, but they would like to use him in a similar vein, Um, you know, have him in a similar type of role that to develop. If he could be 60% of what George Kittle was, you know, his his best, that's, that would be great. They would love that. Max Mitchell, the, 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 you know, extra swing tackle they would like to develop. That's, that's around where you want to take those swings. Joe Douglas couldn't resist, you know, uh, getting himself at least one big guy on the offensive line. So he, he did a really good job of looking through uh, blending needs with value and uh, playing the board. And as, as long as like, as long as I've been covering this team, I've never seen a draft and everything just executed so competently. And now it's a low bar we're talking about with the jets here, but I, I haven't seen it. We are talking to JetsInsider.com editor-in-chief Chris Nimbley. And you, you were saying that uh, this was a competent draft. And I was talking about it. Like, I, I remember the time when Mike McCagnan was there. And it just he was all over the place. He, 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 the way he drafted, a lot of Jet fans were just like, why would you draft him in a later round? You had this guy open. You could have gotten this guy. And, and, and for years, the Jets had just... After the first or even the second round, and by the way, the Jets are one of the worst teams when it comes to drafting in the second round. So they have not been very good drafting in the second round. So why don't we get into, uh, you know, this offseason, even in free agency. You brought in Tomlinson. You brought in all these different pieces to help Zach Wilson. We heard Zach Wilson uh, put on about eight or nine pounds of muscle. He's been training all all offseason. He broke up with his girlfriend before the season was over. A lot of people were questioning why that happened and, and all that other stuff. Maybe because she was getting in the way of his development. Who knows? We don't know. When, when you look at this team, I believe – if this team, it don't matter how great of the players that they have and what kind of draft they have, everything is going to roll on Zach Wilson's arm. What are your thoughts so far of what you've heard and what you have uh, you've seen so far in training camp right now to to say that Zach Wilson's going to take a leap? 
Yeah, well, this you know this is the trend. This is what teams are doing with uh, all around with the young quarterbacks. I I refer to it as building them training wheels. It's what the Dolphins are doing with Tua, Tyreek Hill. What the Bills did with Josh, Stephon Diggs for Josh Allen. You make the offense around the quarterback so good that if the offense can't succeed, you know it's the quarterback that's the problem. That's that's what the Jets are essentially trying to do right here. Uh, you know, they start OTAs coming up on Tuesday, so we'll get the we'll get the first little crack at them with the new look. Uh, everything else has been off. You know, mm. you just have to rely on what players are saying and telling you. And you know, I I have definitely heard the stories of, through the Jets West camp of Sanchez about how different he looks there, and I've heard it with with Darnold and all these other guys. So I, I you know hesitate to put too much stock in it. But these these players just from last year, these players believe in Zach in a way that I, I don't think any the I've seen anybody other quarterback believed in. There was a little bit with Sanchez in that uh, you know those early years, but th- that was more and like okay, we trust you to kind of drive the bus of this team how we're set up. But they kind of knew the limitations there. I these these players really do believe in Zach, uh, just mentally as their leader and as a player. Hmm. Um, so we'll see. And, you know, last year he's he was a little more a built and a stick than I expected coming in. So you can see now he's a little bit more just in the pics and videos. You can see a little bit of that. Uh, I expect that'll help him a lot. But I think just mentally. He's he's probably going to come in just at more settled pace. It's just everything you could tell, even just by watching. Obviously, he didn't play great down the stretch or anything, but you right. could see how much it, everything slowed down. He wasn't making the disaster mistakes. So I think if he can come in just a little settled already, like, all right, the, the rush part of this is behind me, that – he can at least be, you know, decent. Like that's the thing. I think he, I think he's got a good shot to be at least decent to good. How good can he be to good to great? That's that's where I have my questions. So, being that they brought in the two tight ends, especially you're so you've seen the 49ers, even with Kittle banged up at certain points in his career, do a lot of the two tight end sets, and sometimes they maneuver Kyle Juszczyk into that kind of role. Now they bring that offense to the Jets. So even with the receiving depth, now can you see it? emphasize those tight ends more or do you think it'll still be more of the three receiver type offense that you saw the he brought in when he was on assistant with McVay yeah no I I expect that they'll be uh heavy with the two tight ends I think you know they'll definitely switch and go to some three and four wide when they when it called upon we saw some of the creativity with LaFleur too um you know some of those trick plays that he'll draw out now some of that was out of necessity uh, towards the end of the season when, you know, it was just Braxton Berrios. It's like the only thing that got going there. Um, so, but you could see that he's willing and able to do that type of stuff. But this, this is going to be a meat and potatoes offense. They're, they're going to run the ball. They're, they're going to use those two tight ends. They're going to bring in uh, heavy offensive lines and they're going to use the running game to set up the passing mm. attack. That That's what it's going to be. Um, and, you know, they, they want to be, in the same vein, when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl that year, they were running for like 15 yards a carry. Yeah, we know what the NFL is these days. Everyone wants to pass. But if you can get a first down every time running the ball, go for it. We are talking to JetsInsider.com editor-in-chief Chris Nimbley. 
Uh, talk about the Jets' defense, and, and the Jets' defense was one of the worst in the league last year. Robert Sala was brought here to really change and transform this defense into that prototypical defense we saw Rex Ryan bring to the Jets in the in the, early, the mid-2000s. When you look at this team now, you had Carl Lawson last year, he, hurts, he, tear, he tears his Achilles before the season started. Everybody said that this guy was going to be the it factor for the New York Jets. They didn't have any pass rush on the edge. Now you have... Jermaine Johnson on one side, and now you have Carl Lawson on the other. You have a middle. Quinn Williams is he's going to expect that $100 million contract. I expect him to take two or three steps forward this year. He had seven, I think, six sacks last year, seven sacks the year before that. I like to see Quinton Williams have 12 or 13 this year and show people why he's the dominant force in the middle. And some of the other players they have. Rankings really didn't show up last year. They gave Franklin Myers a lot of money. Uh, he didn't play well in the second half of the season. Completely died down when he got that contract. Um, and they brought, it, they brought in other uh, players. Obviously, Sauce Gardner, that's secondary. What are your thoughts to this defense this year moving forward? Is this team going to be a completely different defensive style of team, even with C.J. Mosley now at full strength? Yeah, it's going to look a lot different. Um, it, it, last year's defense, uh, first to talk about Carl Lawson, yes. every single day of the training camp, he was just dominating, putting on the show. And then to watch him get hurt, it was just like deflating. Like Even us reporters were just like, oh, there goes the defense. But it, get him back, what he can do. But it's still what it's it's kind of tough because like on one hand I I'm cut Rob Rosala some slack because he was trying to run his defense his system without the horses to run it, but at the same time I was like yo you you got to recognize you don't have the horses to run it so I know you want to implement your system but you have to tweak it to what you're working with and that's what you saw the first part of the season. He was just stubborn. They were stubbornly trying to just enforce their system, even though they knew they didn't have the guys. And they went into the season knowing, hey, we're going to be starting a bunch of undrafted free agents. And then those guys got hurt. And then, like, the secondary, they were picking up uh, every week. They had a new safety playing. So there was a lot of moving parts. And if everything broke right for them last year, it was going to be a bad defense. And everything seemed to break as wrong as possible. <laughs> so it went really bad. So I think just it'll be, you know, uh, uh, like a progression back to the mean here. And then if you can uh, keep Carl Lawson healthy, you can get uh, a little bit more out of the secondary. Now you still, they still uh, are missing, you know, uh, like a ball hawking free safety. They still need some linebacker help too. And they could, they're going to need to find another big body to plug for the run stuff and defense. So, but this team had so many holes, they weren't going to be able to fill them all. But I think that they're going to be able to be like at least, you know, more, much more closer to a league average uh, defense this year with a little bit more upside some weeks. So a lot of rumors were swirling around the Jets trading for a receiver. That obviously did not happen. Debo Samuel was the big one, but also DK Metcalf, AJ Brown before he got traded to the Eagles. Are you? Do you think the Jets made the right decision in not pursuing that at the price that those teams wanted to? Yeah, at the at the price that uh, that you know the, the the price and the the tag uh, I think works. Uh, you know, Tyreek obviously what they offered for Tyreek I think would have worked. They weren't going to offer up you know either of their first round picks and then to give him that money. 
Um, because you know, like we said, I said before that it's all the training wheels theory, but once you start investing all that money into the free agents, now you're fully pot committed and it's like, you're all out on these next couple of years. If you, if you can hold off on that, then you leave yourself flexibility. So then, you know, if Zach Wilson doesn't pan out, then you could position yourself as, you know, one of these teams uh, the new team of the Tampa Bay Bucks who was stocked ready for Tom Brady or the Broncos who was stocked and looked like he made themselves a nice destination for Russell Wilson so if Zach Wilson doesn't pan out you can try to position yourself for something like that um and you know obviously it'd be great to get an AJ Brown and the way that you know I would have preferred that at the time but the way that they had gone through that it, it made all, all the sense in the world to me. I get it. I, I will say this. I think they made the right choice bringing in Garrett Wilson. I think on my board, he was the best wide receiver in this class. There's no question. The best route runner in this class. Uh, a tremendous amount of speed. And if you look at the Jets and what kind of speed they hold now. Now, I don't know if Denzel Mims makes this team this year, but supposedly he's looked pretty good on what they have said. If Denzel Mims plays, and then you have guys like Brees Hall and then Garrett Wilson and all the weapons they have, they have like four or five guys that can run a 4-3, a 4-4 or less. It's unbelievable how much speed the Jets have. And I think that's very, very important moving forward to help Zach Wilson, especially uh, in the open field and running this Mike LaFleur type of offense. Uh, Let me ask you this question, Mr. Nimbley. Uh, You look at at this whole team, and – I don't think this team is more – in a good season, I think the Jets could win nine this year in a good season. I think the Jets are a seven or eight win team this year. I think next year will be the year where I expect the Jets to take a lead. You look at this team now on this roster, and even if they add a Kawan Alexander, I don't know if they will. They add a Kawan Alexander to this linebacking core. Uh, You're paying C.J. Mosley a lot of money. Where do you see this team, honestly, as a whole – if this turns out to be a really good season for the Jets? Uh, if, if, if you're saying a really good season, I, I, I pretty much am aligned with exactly what you said. Uh, I, I think top, top is you're, you're looking at nine games. Um, and the thing is, it's not, you can't even really, like the, the Jets can be so um, insanely improved over last mm-hmm. year. But the AFC is just like just the AFC West is stocked. Like there's so much talent. These teams are so good right now that I don't even think it's like it's going to sound worse than it is. But I think like nine wins is is the maximum ceiling. And I'm I'm comfortably planting my flag in the seven wins. And and I think that it's going to be at the end of the season, Jets fans are going to be relatively happy with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, it, it's tough. You get those four uh, starting with the AFC North uh, mm-hmm. four games in a row. That's tough. If you, if you switch the uh, schedule around, so you got those last five games to start the season with, right. you could start with like a nice like four and one. You could, then you could be one of those teams that kind of coast and like, everyone knows a like isn't as good as their schedule, but maybe you could like sneak in on the back door of a playoff. But I just, I think that it's going to take them a little while to get going, but I think their losses are going to be more competitive. And I, I think you're looking at probably seven wins. Um, but you know, the, the, the end of the season, you're going to, you're going to feel like 
it's you're not going to be just looking at who's who's a number one draft pick quite as quickly as you normally do. I just want to see Zach Wilson's development. If if Zach Wilson shows yeah. everybody that he can he could be the leader of this team, he could really take that next step to being an elite quarterback in this league. That would make a lot of Jet fans really really you know really happy because you don't want to go into next year saying okay we don't have a quarterback and now we got to go into another draft looking for another quarterback and then building again with him. I don't want to see that. I think this is a very, very important year for Zach Wilson. I think Zach is the leader. I think Zach is going to be the guy. And I think Jet fans should be very excited to what we're going to see uh, this year with this team offensively and defensively. Um, you look at this coaching staff, and, and I, you know, besides Robert Sala, a lot of people were taking shots at Mike LaFleur, okay? Um, yeah. He, some of the play call calls in the, you know, in the first half were questionable. And a lot of these, obviously they lost Corey Davis for the whole season. Practically uh, they lost, uh, what's his name again? Who uh, uh, the, 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 the second round pick, I'm sorry, Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore uh, yeah. in the second, you know, in the second half, Elijah Moore looked like he was going to be a breakout wide receiving a superstar. I think he's going to be fun to watch this year. If he could stay healthy. Um, this, this offensive, you know, stability, of this team really just didn't have a functional way of playing. What are your thoughts this year? Now that this is the second year under Mike LaFleur, do you think Mike LaFleur is what everybody says he's going to be an offensive guru and is going to eventually be a big time NFL head coach? Yeah. The, the offensive guru thing, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not so sure about, uh, I also just think that people get a little carried away with like saying like what that, what does that mean? I don't know. Uh, but I do think that uh, this offense is going to be humming at least. I think we started to see at the end of last season, you started to see the running game take shape, even mm -hmm. without those uh, weapons, without those wide receivers. And they had like no threat of an actual aerial attack. Right. And they were still able to run the ball competently. And a lot of part of that was the offensive line took a little while to get settled. You remember that first game against Carolina, that first half, that offensive line, it was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the longest season ever. Um, and it took them a couple games to get settled. But then they started to come around, and you could really start to see the the running game taking fruition. And then you add, you know, like a Tomlinson to it. Now you add a couple of tight ends that can come in and block. Now, now you got some things humming there. So uh, I do think that I, that's not a concern of mine. Now, uh, you know, how well is he going to be able to blend the, the run-pass balance if, if Zach Wilson is good enough and they're doing that and take shots deep? Those are the things that, you know, that's the type of stuff that separates, you know, the best – from just merely good play callers. And some of it's just dumb luck, right? Calling the right play that mm. happens to get executed at that moment where there's other coordinators that called the right play. It just didn't get executed. Mm. Or this. So some of that's just dumb luck too. But I, I do think that as he's going to have this offense, all these players, Zach Wilson included, at like set up to the best that he can possibly set them up to succeed. So last question for me, just one Jets bold prediction for this season and one bold prediction across the entire league. Oh, okay. Let's see. So uh, I think, I think that 
let's see, how bold do I want to go here? I th- I think I'm I'm going super bold with uh, Elijah Moore is going to have a just like a huge season mm. if he can stay healthy. I I don't I'm going top five uh, receivers there. Mm. Uh, wow. I think that I I just think I think this is largely going to be with uh they're going to I could pair it with their uh, running game. I just think their running game is going to set them up so much and then they're going to do so many different things with the other weapons that they have that Elijah Moore is, is he had such good chemistry with Zach Wilson last year all throughout training camp. I think it'll take a couple of weeks to ramp up and then I think everybody's going to be going nuts trying to get them in their daily fantasies and everything throughout the end of the season. So uh, that's one thing there. And then, okay, league-wide. Oh, man, we have a got to go in there here. Um, man, what do I got league-wide? I, I, I'm just – I'm just – I'm really uh, – you say league-wide and my brain can't get out of the AFC West because mm. uh, that's just the most fascinating thing in the world to mm-hmm. me, trying to figure out what's going to happen there. And um, – yeah, I man, I don't. My brain is now telling me I want to say that it's going to be so complicated in there that something crazy like the Chiefs isn't going to make the playoffs. But that sounds ridiculous. But I'm, I'll stick with it just because I want to be ridiculous for right now. <laughs> As everybody knows, we're talking to JetsInsider.com editor in chief Chris Nimbley. Last question for me, Makai Beckham, and I, I before the draft, a lot of people were saying that. If Aquano, uh, um, if Aquano was sitting there at four, the Jets were interested in possibly drafting him and moving on from Makai Beckham. I told fans that's not true. I, I, I think uh, he didn't. Some people say that he was there were voluntary uh, OTAs or whatever uh, practices he didn't show up to, and the Jets told him to stay home because his son was getting born or his kid's going to be born. So, what is it? Are, are the Jets upset at? Um, Mackay Beckham, it, now obviously because of his weight, because he was like 400 pounds at one point last year, who knows what's going on? You're you're an inside guy. What is going on with Mackay Beckham? All right, so there, there's a lot to this here. Now, I'll start with the Iquanu thing. Joe Douglas definitely did love Iquanu, and I knew like early in the process he, he was uh, saying like, best he would think that long term drafting Urquanu would be the best thing for them to do it for because uh you know the fans not going to be here for too long and then they could do stuff going on mm-hmm. and uh so he thought long term but they recognized the need to get Zach help now and that would create kind of a log jam so that kind of backed him off of there but he really did love Urquanu now, with Becton, now the reports of him being coming up to camp last year, all fat and out of shape, were way overblown. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time he actually came into to camp, he was in excellent shape. But there was something going on with him and the coaching staff, and I still haven't been able to uh, place exactly what's going on here. And this is a, kind of a byproduct of COVID and us not being in the building mm-hmm. all the time anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't get to talk to players like we used to. Uh, and so many of these players I don't even know, like, on a personal level because right. we haven't met them like that. Um, but there's some, there's some disconnect. And the, the coaching staff kind of used him, at, has taken the opportunity to use him as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, some this is, this is a, a, uh, a first-round draft pick, and we're going to, you know, 
hold his feet to the fire and do all this stuff too. So they would do that to send a message to the rest of the team. And, and I can get that on some, on some level, but the way that they've been kind of manipulating the stuff with the weight stuff, and then they've been putting the stuff out, it's, it all isn't, makes me uncomfortable. You can see how, how he, Becton doesn't like it when he responds on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't, you know, and him staying uh, OTAs, his his girl was uh, like gonna have the baby any right. day now. There's there's it, it's absurd that anybody would really make that into a big thing, especially for voluntary OTAs. Um, yeah, he's he was staying in Texas. He's training like he's he's got the videos. Uh, he's gonna come and he's gonna play as long, you know. The, the biggest concern, or the only real concern I have with him is is going to be healthy. Uh, can he stay healthy? We saw his rookie year, how good he can be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any doubt that if he's healthy enough, he can get back to that. And I think he'll be fine. I just think that this coaching staff is kind of using him to make an example of. And then it the way that, uh, you know, and, and the message gets portrayed and then goes in the media kind of kind of gets messy but i think once he plays and starts playing well i think everything will settle down from there i think they've been doing that to him and they've been doing that to denzel mims and i, I yes. think and i i just don't understand it i i understand it's not robert sala's guys uh makai beckton was was a todd bowles guy obviously and also um obviously denzel mims was a todd bowles guy he wasn't a robert sala guy so i i understand the whole the aspect and, and thought of where this team i'm, I'm sorry not a, not a adam, todd gase, yeah. adam gase guy <laughs> yeah, i'm gase, sorry yeah. adam gase that's what i meant i keep saying todd bowles but adam gase guy both guys were adam gase guys and and i guess um they're not loved by the jets uh before we let you go because uh we have our other guests um, I'm really upset at you, man, because you're not following me on Twitter. I, 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 I I'm going to, I, I think I followed you the other day. You're not following me. I'm very upset at you, man. I'm a jet guy. I respect you. And I love what you have to write. I follow your blogs. We got to start following each other, bud, because uh, right, I'll, I'll get on that right now. I'll get on it right now. I haven't been using Twitter too much. I try to stay off that. Uh, How could you stay off of Twitter? Instagram. Listen, everybody knows social media. Instagram is bull. It's really for the Kardashians. If you want to, you want to take pictures of your ass and put it on. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't do use Instagram. I I think somebody got on my Instagram. Facebook I used to just post up the radio stuff and everything like that. Twitter is the best social media thing for for us. Really, yeah. it, it really is because it, it it communicates what's going on in sports and the communication of what's going on in, in the world. So uh, I I lately I've been a little bit more posty. On my Twitter, and uh, I'm going to be breaking 4,000. You know, people follow me, which is thank you to all the fans that follow me. Even though they're probably telling me uh, over and over again, where the hell is your DMs? Where the hell is the, you know, the posts? But uh, I'm going to start doing it. So I apologize. But we got to follow each other, bud. I got you. I got you. I'll follow you for sure. But yeah, I yeah I do the same. I don't use any other social media. I I use I try to just tweet and then not look too much at Twitter. <laughs> I got days. you. I got you. <laughs> it's such a mess. But I will definitely give you a follow. Thank you. Speedy will send you my Twitter, and I'll make sure that I'm following you 100. percent But uh, I right. I love you, man. I we really appreciate you joining us. We'll get you on very very soon as OTA starts, and and looking forward to meeting you uh, sometime this year at the Jet Game. 
Awesome. Sounds great, man. Have a good one, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. JetsInsider.com editor-in-chief, Chris Nimbley. Awesome guy. Great personality. Gave you the inside of Mackay Beckham and everything that's going on with the New York Jets, and, and that's what I love. When we come back, we're going to have co-author of Incredible Baseball Stats, Ryan Spader, here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speed, I love that track. Coldplay? Mm-hmm. Is that Coldplay? No, this is The Killers when we were young. When oh, you I were young. Love, yes. I love The Killers. Yes. I, I, it was Fantastic either Coldplay. Song. It's either Coldplay or The Killers. I love them both. And I'm sure Mr. Yes. Spader loves them too. Mm-hmm. At least we think that he does. One of their big hits back from, from 2006. I love The Killers. Yeah. Do you ever see The Killers live? I've never seen them live. I, I have. I've always wanted to. Jones yeah. Beach. I saw them uh, years and years ago. Fantastic. Also saw them in Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very good band. And by the way, um, there uh, I forget what that track is from there. Not the latest album. The album before that. I know the one you love is The Man. The Man. Yeah. That's my, that's I, the, I played that's that one. I, I played that one I about a month I'm ago. The man. I'm the yeah. man. You know what it, you know what it was? Uh, when, we had, when we had the zookeeper, Matt Price, when we had him on the show, I, I saw did. that. I saw that something about that song on his Twitter. So I played it that day on the show. I am the man. Yes. Anyway, uh, why don't we bring The Man on the show now? We are now talking to co-author and incredible baseball stats, Ryan Spader. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, what's going on, guys? I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, sorry I've been uh, so difficult to get a hold of. Well, I, I'm sorry uh, to have you on a little bit later. We, we had some technical difficulties on the other side with our uh, Jets insider, Chris Nimbley. But we're very happy to have you on. Um, uh, I never got a chance to read your book. Speedy told me we were going to have you on today. And it, it's interesting with with baseball and these these new stats. I mean, it, war and and all this crazy stuff. It's really changed the game, and and now it's really changed the way you know baseball is played with power and um, average, and then shifting, which thank God is going to be gone now uh, with baseball. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you decided to get involved with a book like this. And, and really, uh, when you started writing, what was the, the back end of all this, uh, you know, working with your counterpartner? Oh, man, dude, this goes way back to when I was at Penn State. I realized, you know, it was even before I was at Penn State. I realized, dude, you're probably not going to be a big league ball player. And <laughs> it really sunk in even harder when I was at Penn State and I got cut from the club baseball team. <laughs> And I was like, damn, I got I to gotta figure out a way I'm going to be involved with the game in some other way because it's not going to be playing. I, I've got to accept that. And uh, I had a professor, uh, Daniel Goldstein at Penn State, and he was a stat and economics professor, and he would always use baseball in his examples. And I was good at this stuff. And I'm like, dude, this is it. I can figure this stuff out by the numbers. And uh, it took me a little while to figure out exactly how that would be. But it was 2012 when Cliff Lee went six and nine, mm-hmm. and everybody's losing their mind in Philadelphia, as Philadelphia fans are known to do. Everybody's <laughs> losing their mind because Cliff Lee's finished; he's done. Mm. But I'm looking at these numbers, and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second! 
He just didn't get any run support. So I'm trying to figure out how can I show these guys that Cliff Lee actually had a great season. And finally, I come across it. I'm like, Cliff Lee, he actually becomes the first player with 200 strikeouts and 30 or fewer walks in a season, 2012, since Cy Young in 1905. Wow. And I'm like, dude, this is money. So I start calling into all the Philadelphia radio stations, sports radio stations that I listen to, and start trying to talk these numbers with them. And as soon as you start talking numbers Mm. as a caller – they tend to hang up on you, as mm. I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I kept getting hung up, hung up on it. And I'm finally like, you know what? I got to figure out how I'm going to disseminate this stuff. And I, uh, I started a Twitter to do it. Now, the irony is today I do regular spots on those same Philadelphia radio shows <laughs> that I was getting kicked off. Of. But through all this stuff, I started to Twitter. And then uh, eventually I started doing some freelance work for some other writers uh, and eventually NBC sports reaches out to me and they're like, Hey, we'd love to have you write for us. And I was like, Hey, uh, no, uh, I'm not a writer. I'm not doing that stuff. And, uh, they're like, look, uh, we really love the numbers you put out there. I think it'd be important for you to start having your own byline. And I'm like, I don't really care what you think. I'm not doing it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make a jackass out of myself by doing that. And, uh, Finally, they convinced me. They're like, look, we got editors. They'll open up their veins all over your work and uh, they'll make you look great. And I'm like, all right, that's, you know, I'll give it a shot. Wrote a piece on Mike Trout. Uh, Now, keep in mind, this is about five years into the thing. Wrote a piece on uh, Mike Trout and I got 65 bucks for it. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, (laughs) dude, you're you're getting paid to talk about baseball now. You're a big shot, right? And then uh, eventually I only wrote two or three articles for NBC Sports <laughs> and Sporting News picked me up and they were like, oh, we'd love to have you do some stuff for Sporting News. And then eventually I got picked up by the Buffalo News. And that's an entire another story because yeah. I covered the Bills as a beat writer for them oh, God. for a year. I didn't care about the Bills, but they were pay- I was in the Marine Corps at the time and they're paying me more I was, more than I was making in the Marines. And I was like, yeah, this is this is great. So uh, the book, um, it, it just I got to the point where I was like, you know, you're not a terrible writer, I guess. And you got all the numbers. You've got a huge index of tons and tons of stats that other people hadn't come up with before. Why don't we put it in a book? And uh, I had a friend who um, whose buddy had written a book, and I asked him to introduce me. We eventually uh, got together um, having, a, having a couple beers, which ended up being, uh, yeah, I don't know, 12 or 13. As, <laughs> as, uh, the Philadelphia people are wont to do. And uh, we um, we're just talking baseball stats all night. He's blown away and he was a pretty talented writer. So he was like, uh, dude, I, I love your idea. And I understand if you want to do it solo, but I'd love to be a part of this if you're cool with it. And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, more the merrier. So uh, Kevin Reeve and I did this thing together. We wrote the first one, had it forwarded by R- Wade Boggs, which mm. is a, a, again, an entire another story. Mm. And then we ended up doing a second one together and we had it forward uh, again by Boggs. And then also Lance McCullers Jr. We got mm. Rock Reigns involved, Larry Walker involved, wow. Edgar Martinez, Brian Kenny. We had a lot of people involved. It was a really cool project and uh, probably something we'll, we'll continue to do every few years. So what are some of those stats that are in those books that you've researched, both either historical or or even just with current players, that a lot of people wouldn't expect? Like if they read it, they would be blown away by that kind of thing. Well, it, you know, it depends the, uh, the way that you're looking at it. So you get a lot of things like to start a career, uh, first 100 games who reach base in the most in their first hundred games. And you get a name like Logan Morrison and people are like, what (laughs) you got Logan Morrison up there with Ted Williams and stuff. You know, it just shows 
that guys can come out to a really hot start in their career. And then things uh, on my personal favorite, Wade Boggs, who um, I, I really only remember the end of his career. Right. But I uh, I looked at his batting stance and it was real similar to the batting stance of my uh, my old man who um, who I'd been watching play uh, baseball and then eventually um, softball when I was a kid. And so I, I watched Wade Boggs hit and I, I looked at this guy in in Marvel. And so I, I look up his numbers and, um, you know, he he had a season 1985 where he reached base in more games than any other player in a season hmm. in history. And he only failed to reach base in, I believe it was six games that season. And in three of those games, he had reached on error, which should count had an RBI or had like a, a productive out in some other way. Right. And then of course you get the stats that everybody loves. The fact that Tony Gwynn could go O for 1,071 or uh, 1,171 and still have a lifetime batting average of 300. Uh, Barry Bonds once had 80 home runs over the span of 160 games. That's one of my, that's one of my famous stats because I did it on karaoke one time and it blew up <laughs> because Barstool got their hands on it and everybody was attacking me because I'm the bad, the bad stats man who, yeah. uh, who ruined karaoke. I thought it was hilarious <laughs> personally, but you know, you go in there and you just, it just, it's just telling stories by the numbers. I, I go back to Wade Boggs and one of my favorite things that I've done is, um, I, I went to the hall, the hall of fame for the first time when Tim Raines got inducted, he was kind enough to invite me uh, to his induction. I've since been invited to a couple of them, Edgar Martinez, Larry Walker. It's been these guys who just appreciate the campaigns that I'll run right. uh, by the numbers for them, because I believe they belong in the hall of fame, but Wade Boggs, of course, he's been in the hall of fame for, for uh, a long time. Mm. First ballot hall of famer. I go to his plaque and I'm reading through it and I'm like, something ain't right here. And it said that Wade Boggs had reached base safely in 80% of his games played. And I'm doing some quick math. Wade Boggs played 2,440 games in his career. This means he failed to reach base in 488 wrong. There's no way that's true. Sure enough, I figured out that Wade Boggs actually reached base in 85.2% of his career games played. Wow. And that 5.2% of games played represents 123 games that the baseball hall of fame is egregiously leaving off of his plaque. That's a season, man. So I wrote the hall of fame, uh, a really long email about why it was incorrect and how they should correct it. And, uh, it took them months, but eventually they got back to me and it was just a picture of how they uh, updated the plaque and thanking me for the, uh, the effort that I, I had made in finding the Look error. at you, man. Look at you. Changing yeah, everything, you know, changing lives, stuff, changing love the, love the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking to co-author of incredible baseball stats, Ryan Spader. You know, we look at all these stats, Ryan, and everything in sports has to do with stats. I mean, in basketball, they're always looking, they're trying to compare everybody to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player ever. But if you look at stats, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player ever. But Michael Jordan was a completely different, you know, player was a different game when Michael Jordan was playing. So you can't compare and contrast uh, the game, what it was in the 80s and the 90s into what it is today, which I think is girl basketball. And, and what I mean by that is you can't <laughs> even put your fingers on them before you go into the foul line. But 
Um, what are your thoughts of the game now? When you when you look at all these different statistics that they brought into the game, uh, the wars, everybody's trying to compare defense to offense, and 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 everybody talks about Mike Trout. What, this is why Mike Trout's the greatest basketball baseball player in the game. Does this surprise you on the different statistics that they brought into the game ever since Moneyball really came into the game? So I, I'm going to say something that I, oftentimes when I tell people this, it, it surprises them. Uh, I do appreciate baseball by the numbers. I appreciate analytics a great deal. I think there's a, a great place in baseball for analytics. However, that's not, that's not what's playing the game. We don't play baseball on a spreadsheet. We don't play baseball with Python. We play baseball on a field. And I think the best example of this and the best uh, example of analytics as a failure where you have to also go with the eye test, you have to use gut instinct from time to time, is Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler, as a manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, was using just the spreadsheet, just the Python code, just the, um, just the, uh, the graphics, the infographics, and the um, uh, heat maps. That was it. And he failed. He fell flat on his face. Now, fortunately for him, the Giants gave him a chance. And he... Fortunately for him as well, is he's not a stubborn fool. He learned from his mistakes. Mm. Now he still implements the uh, analytical side and still preaches analytics to his players and uses his analytics team. However, he has since learned that hey, sometimes you bring in a lefty to face two lefties or three lefties, and uh, he strikes out maybe three guys on ten pitches, and then you got a righty up. Maybe this guy just has good stuff tonight, and maybe mm. we should stick with him. Because sometimes, even though the numbers say something else, what the eyes see is what is real at that mm. moment. And sometimes a guy just has stuff, and it doesn't matter who's up there. Mike Trapp doesn't matter. He, he, he's up there, and he's going to have his best stuff. And sometimes you just got to ride with the guy who has his best stuff on a particular night. So you actually had a lot of different articles on the Hall of Fame, a lot of the players that you think should get in, especially underrated ones, including Jimmy Rollins was one, Scott Rowland, that uh, you mentioned you were watching as a kid uh, a lot. So go through some of those underrated players that you think deserve it and some of the data that you used in those kinds of instances. Jimmy Rollins was especially that very interesting one over Omar Vizquel. <laughs> so it's funny you bring up Omar. You know, first let me start with this is, uh, I've actually caught some heat, especially from uh, some of your BBWAA members, mm. which I'm, I'm not allowed to uh, be in that club. I've been uh, never officially denied membership because I qualify for it. So they won't officially deny it, but uh, they don't like me. So I'm not allowed to be in the club. And um, the heat that I've caught is, well, what are you doing preaching Tim Raines Hall, Hall of Fame case? Uh, you know, did you even see him uh, play most of his career? And um, one guy even said to me, well, you're you, you served in the United States Marine Corps and Tim Tim Raines played the majority of his career in Canada. How the hell can you uh, advocate for him as a Hall of Famer? And I'm like, this this stuff is ridiculous. I I believe in baseball history and I think that the Hall of Fame is a baseball history museum. So I want really good baseball history in it. And I look at Tim Raines, the the thing that I often uh, get from people about that one is, hey, hey, you know, he was an Expos player and this, that, and the other. The reason I like Tim Raines, and I only saw the tail end of his career, is again, because my father. My father watched him wreak havoc on the base paths against uh, the Phillies and others in the 80s and 
preached the way that Tim Raines played the game. You know, he got that nickname Rock for two reasons. All we know one of them, but he also got the got the nickname because of um, uh, how hard he played the game. And uh, that's that's the way that I was taught how to play the game was the way that Tim Raines played the game. Uh, cool thing uh, to mention on that is the first time I ever spoke with Tim Raines uh, when we when I wrote one of those articles. Um, I said to him, hey, Rock, you know, I only saw the tail end of your career because I, I get to call him Rock now because we're boys after one conversation <laughs> that we, we spoke. We spoke for a good hour and a half, but uh, I, I get to call him Rock. So I make a rock. My uh, my father is the one who actually saw all your career and he told me about how you played the game and preached that's how you're supposed to play the game you mind saying uh saying hello to my dad and he was like sure ryan i'd love to talk to your dad he talked to my father longer than he talked to me and he just got off the phone for <laughs> with me for an hour and a half anyway though i look at the game by the numbers in hindsight and the, for tim raines for example what kept him out of the hall of fame was ricky henderson he was second to ricky henderson for his career and to me i look at this like there's no shame. There's no crime in not being the greatest of all time. We don't say you can't be in the Hall of Fame if you don't have the numbers like Babe Ruth and Ted Williams and Willie Mays, and that's it. Those are the only guys who are going to be in. There's, there's a standard that you must meet, and the standard is not the single greatest of all time. It's maybe the top one and a half, top 2% players ever, and that is what Tim Raines was. And then we go to somebody like Edgar Martinez. Edgar Martinez was kept out of the Hall of Fame because he was a catastrophe. DH. Now by that, the way, absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. Now he was a designated hitter for how does seventy percent? I'm of sorry to cut you off. How is David Ortiz? How does David Ortiz go to the Hall of Fame over Edgar Martinez? Edgar Martinez has been the best DH in baseball history since the DH even came into the game. And David Ortiz, who, by the way, did steroids and has been proven to do steroids, still gets in as a first ballot. And Edgar Martinez waited years. He was a first ballot Hall of Famer, hands down the best DH we've ever seen. The fact that he never got in as a first ballot is a catastrophe, an absolute I don't even want to say it on live air because I'm going to throw myself under the bus with some of the curse words I can add to this. But um, Edgar Martinez is the first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I agree. But uh, I will say I put no, – yeah, there you go. A little flex action, I see. No, maybe not, uh, not, maybe not, Big Poppy ain't not, the only one. To, <laughs> big Poppy. Nah, but, but um, yeah, Edgar absolutely belonged. And I think the fact, uh, the fact that he waited was simply for the fact that there was going to be a, a delay on allowing designated hitter to actually get in, which is complete BS because, you know, we, we like closers into the Hall of Fame. And these guys, mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Like, you look at – uh, Trevor Hoffman. I was just example. about to say Trevor Mar- Hoffman. I, I don't want to talk smack on Mariano Rivera <laughs> with that accent of yours. But we, we go Trevor Hoffman, and you look at his career numbers. Brandon Webb, as a starter, pitched more innings and was a better pitcher overall. Right. But nobody's saying Brandon Webb belongs in a Hall of Fame. Mm. You probably could have thrown Brandon Webb out there in the ninth inning 700 times, and he probably would have been pretty freaking good. The fact of the matter is most relievers – even the great Mariano Rivera are failed starters. Mariano Rivera didn't hack it as a starter. Fortunately, he figured out that cutter, and he became the greatest. I, I hate the term closer. I, I don't believe in closers. He became the greatest relief pitcher of mm-hmm. all time. And um, uh, it, But the fact remains true is uh, these, these, these positions, these things that BBWAA 
doesn't really and they really hold the keys to the gate it's aggravating to me but the things that they don't really understand they tend to overvalue to try to get ahead of the curve they did this in the 80s when they were handing out Cy Youngs and MVPs even to Raleigh Fingers (laughs) to what I can't Willie Hernandez all these relief pitchers winning these awards why because they led the league in saves and you don't understand it so that's really cool and then up until this year when Omar Vizquel, uh had that controversy and stuff, they're going to vote him into the Hall of Fame. Why? Because he was a great defensive uh, shortstop? Yeah, he was one of the greatest all-time defensive shortstops. But when you look at the numbers, it, the, in the example of Jimmy Rollins, there is not there's – a, there's a law of diminishing marginal returns when you go from great shortstop defensively to all-time great. You are not adding that much value. It's not the same amount of value that you're adding when you go from average fielding to great fielding, uh, going from great fielding to all-time great. There's only so much value you can possibly add. And the fact is, when you look at Omar Vizquel and Jimmy Rollins, well, Omar was slightly better on defense. Jimmy was a great defender. Omar sucked at offense Mm -hmm. and Jimmy Rollins had an offensive uh, stretch there that led him to an MVP award. He's one of the better offensive shortstops of a a generation. And nobody's going to say he belongs in the hall of fame. I even went on to say that Placido Polanco is more deserving of the hall of fame than Omar Vizquel. Like you gotta be kidding me. Omar Vizquel as a hall of famer, it's a disgrace. And I really wish he didn't have that controversy. First of all, because it's really messed up what he, what they're, he's accused of doing, but you know, let accusations go and we'll see what happens. But um, uh, I really wish none of that happened because I would love for BBWAA to make a mistake again. So I can call him out on it because I love doing that. They made a mistake Uh, with Lee Smith. Simply. They made a mistake with Lee Smith too. Because they didn't understand. They don't understand the value of defense. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. And anybody who says they understand the value of defense is lying. Every single year, the formula for defensive runs saved and runs from fielding and UZR and defensive war. Every single year, the formulas change as we begin to learn more and more. And they will continue to change. So we'll even wins above replacement. You go to Barry Bond's page this year and go into that Time Machine website. He has a different war now. Than he did five years ago. How is that possible? He hasn't been playing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's because the formulas change and we don't fully understand this stuff. And at least I'm willing to admit that, hey, we don't really completely understand this stuff yet. So maybe we got to apply it at face value sometimes. You look at Barry Bonds. You look at Roger Clemens. You look at Alex Rodriguez. They were accused of doing steroids. Barry Bonds, before he even did steroids, was a Hall of Famer. 400 and 400. 400 home runs, 400 stolen bases. Before he even looked like he was, you know, sticking himself in the ass. Okay? Roger Clemens, before he left the Boston Red Sox, was a Hall of Famer. And even Alex Rodriguez, before this whole thing came out in Texas, he was on his way to be a Hall of Famer. Do you think all? Do you think Barry Bonds is being held up by the, le- the major leagues and Roger Clemens being held up by the major leagues because of this steroid thing is right for what they're doing, or do you believe that they should be in the Hall of Fame and they should just have an asterisk on their on their name because they did steroids? No, it's a catastrophe. Throw away the asterisk talk because these guys did nothing wrong. Major League Baseball is the only one who's at fault mm. here. Major League Baseball, time and time again, skirts 
all responsibility. This is another reason why I'm hated by BWAA, because I always call out Major League Baseball. 1985 Pittsburgh drug trials with all the guys using cocaine, right? Major League Baseball said, eh, it's not, we're not responsible for any of this. Stuff. We don't yeah. Look, we got the, there's a trial on it, right? And then you go to the steroid controversy. Well, Major League Baseball didn't want to test for anything. They didn't uh, put anything in the um, collective bargaining agreement about testing. So what did guys do? Oh, well, they used the things that Major League Baseball said uh, they didn't say you could use, but they didn't say you couldn't not use them, right? So, I mean, it's com- it's a complete disaster when you look at the uh, the thing as a whole. Um, I mean, it continues till today. It's really aggravating to me because uh, it, the whole thing with the Astros cheating scandal, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to say this time and time again. I'm sure you've seen me go on yeah. rants about it on Twitter. And the whole thing blew up with the New York Post because I had to apologize because lawyers came after me about how um, I came out with all the other information I knew about other teams cheating, right? Well, they did. Uh-huh. And everybody knows it, right? And then the baseball, the Major League Baseball uh, purchased Rawlings and uh, the um, – suddenly the baseball all of a sudden starts flying. And now this season, all of a sudden the baseball's dead. And guess what's going to happen here in a couple of weeks? It's going to start flying again. I guarantee it. Mm. Start betting the overs boys. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I, I'm telling you, major league baseball is at fault for everything. And they constantly skirt any and all responsibility. Manfred has been at the, uh, the forefront oh, of God. the steroid controversy, but Bud Seeley gets blamed for that. And it's, it's also his fault, but Manfred was at the forefront of that. So was a, Uh, George Mitchell, Senator George Mitchell, who nobody seems to talk about anymore, but that Mitchell report comes from a guy who's been accused of uh, going to Epstein Island like eight times. And uh, all of a sudden we're not, we're not talking about this guy anymore because he's, you know, probably a a pretty bad dude, but you know, let's let that slide. Uh, And then also the fact that the Mitchell report uh, didn't name a single player on the Red Sox. Guess what team George Mitchell happened to work for? To me, that throws out any value of that report because he's clearly picking and choosing who he wants to uh, finger in this thing. And it's it's just this is a disaster when Major League Baseball enabled it and then says, Mark McGuire, you're you're not getting a Hall of Fame. Mark McGuire deserves a damn statue out, outside of that Hall of Fame. I don't care about the plaque. Give him a statue because he saved baseball. Uh, oftentimes when I say that people bring up Sammy Sosa, Sosa wasn't a part of that home run race until June, 1998. And that was the most exciting thing I've ever seen in baseball. But Mark McGuire was chasing that record at 95, 96, 97, and he was bound to get there. And he did. And major league baseball ensured that he did. And once they got what they needed from McGuire and Barry Bonds, they said, get the hell out of here. We had enough of you. And now we're going to blame you for, for uh, tarnishing our sport. It's complete crap. Uh, there were no rules in place that prevented players from doing any of these things. And then on top of it, the fact is people don't understand what steroids do. Steroids don't, uh, sure, they make you stronger, mm-hmm. right? But being stronger does not mean you're going to hit home runs. It doesn't, what it does is just allow you to be at 100% for a longer period of that of, of your uh, season. Mm-hmm. So Mark McGuire was out there hitting 70 home runs, not because he was all of a sudden this massive dude and could uh, hit, swing the base, uh, the bat a million miles an hour. No, it was, he's had stretches in his career long before that when he was skinny McGuire. His rookie season had 15 home runs. Yeah. 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 So Barry Bonds had stretches 
where he had numbers just like he did in 01, 03, 02, 03, 04. But all of a sudden, those stretches become the duration of the season because they have the endurance to do it for 162 games. And the last thing I got to say about steroids, it drives me nuts because fans are so ignorant as to what steroids do. They think you take steroids, you're automatically hitting home runs. Or if you're hitting home runs, you're automatically taking steroids. Guess what? Here's here's your clip for this show. I took steroids. I hit zero home runs. I still <laughs> sucked at baseball. I couldn't hit I couldn't hit a ball 350 feet, let alone 550, all right? It didn't do anything for me other than give me a massive bench press. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one more question for me. Uh, by the way, before I get to that, uh, you mentioned you were a Marine. I'll salute your service uh, Thank you. as, as a Marine. Oh, right. um, so you're, in your, a couple questions ago, you were mentioning how you know, a lot of these closers were kind of overrated getting into the Hall of Fame type thing. I actually, a couple of years ago, said I, I, had a, I had a theory, the way analytics were going, that the pure closer will die out in five to seven years with the analytics where they're p- putting positionally best positions in the – best relief pitchers in different parts of the game. Where do you stand on that potential type of thing? I think it's already happening. And I think uh, you were ahead of the curve on that one. You, you know what? You should uh, make fun of BBWA just like <laughs> I do, because they always seem to know what's happening. You got to listen to our show. Man, and yet because... they're always wrong. It's amazing yeah. to me. Like it's just, just this group, uh, the old boys club, BBWA. It drives me nuts. I'll have to send you guys some of the emails that I've sent these people about why I should be in because I qualify based on their very rules. I contributed to, uh, what last year I think I contributed to 18 of 30 team broadcasts, <laughs> which is exactly something that, uh, uh, gives you the right to be a member of BBWA. I was credentialed by I think eight different teams to go to games as a media member. But uh, no, you don't. You don't quite. Clearly, I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about this. But um, no, I, I I really think you're you're exactly right. We see um, some of the best relievers coming in. Uh, I think the first time we really saw this was. I want to say the 2017 postseason where you're seeing teams best relievers coming into the fourth inning and it's in the postseason. Why is this? Well, this is because when the games matter the most. So logically, only what the, the only thing that's going to follow from there is that teams figure out, OK, if it works in the postseason, well, we're pay, playing the best teams in the in the game. Well, maybe this is a concept that we could uh, could apply throughout the entire season. I wouldn't even be surprised at all if uh, in the future we see a team that tries to do um, something like you have uh, no starters. You have three inning guys, right? And you throw a pitcher out there for three innings, then he's done. Another pitcher for three, he's done. Pitcher for the last three, he's done. And then it's their turn three days later. And you end up seeing a guy who gets – over the course of um, 162 games, 54 starts, but he only throws 162 innings because he's only throwing three innings hmm. per. And I wouldn't at all be surprised that that's something we, uh, we see as um, baseball people become smarter and smarter uh, about the game. Just so you know, we talk about all the commissioners in professional sports on this show. We don't care who's listening or what anybody is saying. They can hate us. We throw everybody under the bus if we have to because we are honest and we don't hold back. Everything that we say is straightforward from our hearts and what we think. Just because, hey, you know what? People don't like us or people dis- disagree with us. We're going we're gonna to spit out what we believe in and, and 
I've said I've said it all along. Rob Manfred is the worst commissioner in professional sports. The guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. What they're doing to Pete Rose is a catastrophe. It's just stupid. People bet on sports now. It's legalized here in New York. But, hey, you know what? If Derek Jeter's doing that now, now that he's retired, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because he was... Um, he was a coach or a manager in the league, and he was betting against the team that they were beating. That's why he's not in the Hall. It doesn't make sense. And then there are guys like David Ortiz that's in the Hall of Fame when he admitted to doing steroids. So it, it PEDs, whatever the hell he, he did, okay? It's ridiculous. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame when Barry Bonds is a way better player than he ever would ever think to be. And, and Barry Bonds is never going to go into the Hall of Fame, and he is arguably the greatest baseball player to ever play this game. So it doesn't make sense. Rob Manford's a moron. Bud Selig should be buried in the ground right now, the old bag. Okay, go sell another damn car over there in Cincinnati, where the hell, wherever the hell you're from, you moron. Okay, that's what baseball. And by the way, why isn't George Steinbrenner in the Hall of Fame? I wonder. I wonder. Is it hatred for the Yankees, or is it just hatred that he went to? Uh, he 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 was suspended from baseball for two years because of what he did. And by the way, he changed baseball. He made baseball for what it is today. So kiss my ass. How's that sound? <laughs> okay, hey, okay. I'm all about it. You guys, you guys are gonna have to have me back because I I love this uh, love this passion and this. Uh, this uh, trashing of or thrashing, <laughs> I'll even say of uh, of Rob Robert D. Manfred, yeah, who uh, I, D. I also am not a, a huge fan of, as you've uh, seen here. And uh, to be honest, the thing that I'm most pissed about Manfred is the fact that uh, that 2020 postseason that they had with the different playoff uh, format that was mine. They freaking stole it word for word from me. Wow. And then I get no credit at all. And then they're going to blacklist me from MLB Network and stuff. I'm not allowed to do that stuff anymore. And these the writers aren't allowed to credit me or talk to me or anything. Let them, Screw you. It's not, it's not even worth it anyways. I, I, it, this, is, this is the problem with professional sports. Whenever they, they have something to say, they'll throw you under the bus. And when they have nothing to say about you, they'll find a story to say something about you. That, that's what professional sports is. It's an oxymorific, stupid, bullcrap organization. And uh, all of them, NFL, NBA, NHL, they're all. Gary Bettman, idiot. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, Bud Selig, idiot. I, I mean, uh, who, who, uh, Roger, Roger Goodell, Goodell. idiot. Uh, Adam Silva lets LeBron James run the friggin' league, idiot. They're all idiots. They're all LeBron idiots. LeBron James is, uh, so not even to get into the, the political side of, of anything, but LeBron James is the biggest hypocrite in the world. He All he does is preach about his, you know, equality and stuff here in the U.S., and then he goes over. The man literally has Chinese slaves. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. Like, he literally owns Chinese slaves. It, I believe it. And I say literally, in the literal sense of the word. And he says nothing about it and never addresses any of that. And it's just is maddening to me. I, I'm sorry. It, it, uh, screw screw LeBron, LeBron James. Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time. I know you said earlier. He is. Nah, Jordan's the best. <laughs> uh, Jordan's the greatest athlete I've ever seen play professional sports. And that, that's coming from Wayne Gretzky, uh, Muhammad Ali. Anybody says, you know, Muhammad Ali was a great boxer. I don't even think he's the greatest boxer I've ever seen. But anyways, that's just... Mike, Toss, Mike Tyson's the best. Mike Tyson's the greatest uh, knockout boxer I've ever seen. I think the greatest boxer I've ever seen, like, with my eyes, at the top of his game, um, I would say Sugar Ray Leonard. 
uh, was the best I've seen, like with my own eyes. But Oscar Robinson, I, I mean, there was there was uh, Joe Frazier. I mean, there were so many good fighters. So I uh, just they don't get any credit because we never got a chance to see them. Anyways, we are talking to co-author Incredible Baseball Stats, Ryan Spader. Ryan, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, um, we definitely want to get you on again. Uh, listen. You can come on whenever you want and bash baseball. It doesn't matter to us. Oh, we're hoping you you t- overtake all the Hall of Fame writers at this rate. <laughs> Why don't we write I a book? It, guys. Why don't we write a book about that? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Get, get those old guys it. out I'll, of the, definitely get, jump back on soon. I hope so. Get the old guys out of the of baseball fun. Hall of Fame writing uh, for the voting. <laughs> we need you on that panel. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Next time, next time we jump on, we'll have to grab a beer together. Absolutely, that's, 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 it will. We'll really get it going then. Oh, absolutely. We really appreciate all all the time that you gave us tonight, and uh, we'll get you on. Speedy will reach out to you, and we'll be communicating with you. We really appreciate everything. All right, take it easy, guys. You have a great night. Thanks absolutely. again. Absolutely, Ryan Spader. Incredible baseball stats. Go get his book. Uh, it came out in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, his first book. He has two books out. Uh, great guy. Uh, mm-hmm. and you know, he's, he's spoken, you know, he's so spoken and I agree with him. A lot of, a lot of things that he said about baseball and Rob Manford's an idiot. Theo Epstein <laughs> should get the job in 2024. I hope baseball's actually smart enough to get this guy out of office because he's a moron and he, he's, he's hurt the game of baseball. He hasn't made it better. So, and Bud Selig obviously picked his uh you know his apprentice to take over and bud see like go sell a car or something man. You're, <laughs> you're an absolute jackass i mean you ruined baseball you you turn your head when they were taking steroids now all of a sudden everybody taking steroids it helped baseball i've told everybody this baseball players any athletes they should be allowed to do steroids if they want to hurt their bodies that's their decision not yours it doesn't make you see the ball it doesn't. Yeah, didn't you say anything besides combat sports for for your steroid? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The only two sports I keep uh, I keep steroids away from is combat sports, boxing, mixed martial arts, Muay Thai, because that's dangerous. You could kill somebody by you know if, if if I'm taking steroids and I'm a little bit stronger than you, and and I'm throwing more punches or I'm throwing harder punches than you, I, I could kill you with those. So. Baseball, you're smacking a ball. Football, football's dangerous too, but and hockey's dangerous too. But you have referees, you have control of that. You, you also have I mean? padding on that. You don't have padding with the MMA stuff. No, well, no, you don't. But that's just a whole nother story. I mean, there are yeah, there's are there's always going to be like creases where you're going to be hit in like hockey. If you're a goalie, like the puck can still get you on the neck or something. If you yeah. get hit, something like that. In football, same kind of thing. There are cracks in the in, in the helmet too. The creases that you can knock a guy it's out and horrible. give him a concussion. Yeah, it's horrible how a lot of these athletes are held out of the Hall of Fame because they did steroids. Oh yeah, I mean there are players right now in the Hall of Fame because they did steroids. Chris um, Bagwell is in steroids. He is in the Hall He's of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame. He and made he, it, I think, on the second and, try and or something. Jeff Bagwell did steroids, and there's no question. Mike Piazza. I know Mets fans don't want to hear this, but my, there are there are rumors. It, so many times, so many people said that Mike Piazza, before he even went to the Mets, was on steroids. I mean, he had zits all over his back. There were stories coming out from you know players in the locker room. Now that doesn't mean he was on steroids, but anybody knows one of the symptoms of doing steroids is zits on your back. Mm. So I okay, so that doesn't mean that he did it. But again, I I I'm willing to bet that he did. Okay, but he's in the Hall of Fame. 
But then you have Alex Rodriguez will never see a, a day in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because he did steroids. Yeah. He's one of the greatest baseball players ever to play, and he'll never see the he'll never see the Hall of Fame. How could you do that to a player that really helped the game of baseball? Barry Bonds helped the game of baseball. Right. You know what and, I mean? And Ryan was even mentioning some of the things too. There's like a, even a lot more, I guess. I don't want to say politics, but there's like a lot of like connections that these writers have. He was mentioning the senator George Mitchell, who worked with the Red Sox. Like, yeah, there's going to be some bias to getting uh, David Ortiz in in comparison to somebody with David How Ortiz's is identical David Ortiz numbers and not on the in Red Sox. the Hall of Fame. How the hell is that man in the Hall of Fame when he has been obviously caught? Doing PEDs. Yeah, and again, he is a Hall of Famer, but the fact that it took Edgar Martinez until like his third or second to last try to get in, and he's just as good, is is mind blowing. I'm not saying David Ortiz isn't a nice guy. I'm not saying yeah. David Ortiz isn't one of the greatest playoff players to ever play the game. Absolutely is. Nobody's taking that away from what he has done. I mean, uh, he was special, but to say that David Ortiz was better. Or is is excused to doing PEDs than Barry Bonds, who, by the way, before he even did PEDs, was a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Okay. It's ridiculous. Why? Because the league doesn't like him. Yeah. Because they didn't. That's like what I'm saying. Him. They have this particular connection, some bias, some something that drives on the narrative of why certain guys will get in first. And baseball's just always been so stingy. Why is Bud Selig in the Hall of Fame? Why is that moron in the Hall of Fame when he allowed steroids to be used in the uh, in baseball? Yeah, answer no. that question. No, I, again, it makes no sense. Like it's it's hypocritical at this point to just, I guess, drive certain players down and then favor others that did the same exact thing. It doesn't make any sense. David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer, yes, but why is Edgar Martinez struggling to get in? Why? Are, Who cares about that? Why is Barry Bonds not in the Hall of Fame? Why is Barry Bonds not in the Hall of Fame and David Ortiz is? Yeah. Okay. Right. Why is why is uh, I don't know Jeff Bagwell in the Hall of Fame and Roger Clemens isn't? Okay. It doesn't make sense. You want to you want to put an asterisk and even you heard what Ryan yeah, said. Yeah. Don't put an asterisk. Don't put an asterisk because they allowed it. Mm-hmm. They allowed the game to have it, and it doesn't make you any better than you would to see the ball. Now, obviously, amphetamines have been in, in baseball for forever. Yeah. Amphetamines have been in baseball. You're going to tell me that in the 60s and the 70s, they didn't use amphetamines? Ted Williams didn't use amphetamines to be a better player? He could have. Yeah. Nobody would know because there was no drug testing. Right. So why is it that baseball – and by the way, he's right. Mark McGuire did save baseball. Mm-hmm. He did. He absolutely saved baseball when it when it when baseball was falling apart after the strike in 1996 or 94. 94. 94. Mm-hmm. He, it was absolutely falling apart. Baseball was the number one sport in sports in 94. As you, as you saw a transition into right. football because the NFL the NFL had two strikes too in the 80s too. They had one in 81 that would cut baseball the was short. number one. Yeah, and then they had another one too. I think 87 or 88 or something like that. And baseball was really striving at that point too. But then football took over after that and it just really has run away with it. And now baseball has really just struggled to get its image back. Even over the NBA, the NBA surpassed it now in popularity too. Probably since I would say 2010 or something like that. All right, put them on. Uh, Jeff is back. <laughs> 
No one cares about baseball. You're missing the whole thing. The Celtics just absolutely roasted the Heat. Just absolutely. Marcus Smart dropping, what did he have, 30 points tonight? What did Marcus Smart have, a billion and played great defense? He absolutely stuffed Jimmy Butler into a mayonnaise jar and threw him onto the bench. See you later for the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler. Have a seat. Yeah, Marcus Smart. Bio's got nothing. Marcus Smart near triple double, twenty four points, twelve rebounds or twelve assists, nine rebounds. Look at that. That's right. Playoff MVP, Marcus Smart. This is why I need a twelve hundred dollar Dior shirt. Did you see what he had on on the bench? (laughs) Or twenty twenty one hundred dollar Dior shirt. Right, comes out in game two and roasts Miami on the road. Roasts them. <laughs> as everybody knows, we're talking to a fan favorite, Jeff. Uh, as Snug says, he loves this man. What a gentleman. true gentleman. <laughs> yes, a true gentleman. Uh, Jason Tatum absolutely ripping it tonight. Jalen Brown on fire. Oh, you know, just 68-year-old Al Horford bottling up Bam out of bio tonight. Woof. What a performance. Well, and taking back home court away from Miami. How you doing? Well, again, it, it's it's the second game. I expected the Celtics to come out a little bit stronger than you could, First of all, you even if you said, "Oh, I expected the Celtics to win." I Dude, didn't say the one. I didn't bit, say I didn't say up 35. I didn't expect them to to win. I didn't say that. I I expected the Celtics to come back a lot stronger than they looked in game number one. Remember, they got smashed up in game number one. Now the they Miami. Lost by eight. But the whole game, they were being smashed up around, okay? That's... They were at one point, they were down 25 in the game. They were down, they were down 20, no, they were down 21 and came and, and cut it to 14 or something going into the fourth. Right. And they lost by eight. All right, that's still a and lot in the NBA play. They just roasted. I know. I, I know. By thirty-five. I, so okay, I know. they lost by eight, shorthanded. No Marcus Smart. No Al Horford. Boom. We get those guys back. It's not even close. It's right. Not even close. All right. Well, we'll see what happens in game number the three. The best defensive team, maybe in the history of the league. <laughs> I love it. Maybe in the history of the league. Uh, listen, you're laughing. How, how how often do you see teams like this where, like, Rob Williams is – say what you want about Rob Williams. He's been terrific. He guards the rim. He's the inside presence, right? You have a guard who is your defensive player of the year, even though he's not even a top-10 defender in the league. Got it. Uh, First guard since you know, Gary Payton. Right. You got Grant Williams who, who just shut down Giannis. He's out there too. Tatum can play defense. Jalen Brown can play defense. This team's hard to beat, not because they, they have a collection of great players, but they're playing as a team, and they just roasted Miami. Roasted them. Again, it's still tied 1-1. Let's see what happens later as the, as the series progressively moves forward into the Boston. And I expect Celtics Boston. Celtics in six. Celtics in six by uh, Jeff. I have Miami in seven. I had Miami in six at the start. I have Miami in seven. Uh, That's I think not this... happening. We're going back to Boston 1-1, Speedy. I, I said the Celtics would win game two, though. I, d- I did. I think they'll yeah, split. No uh, way you could have predicted a blowout. Like no, this. I did not expect the blowout. Dude, no, with, I did not. With nine minutes left in the game, they put all, their bottom five I love players. In. Anything that Jeff says, he agrees with. I love no, I said I said this I said the first four games are gonna be a pattern that Miami would win the last two was the way I was thinking. Because Miami Miami is not the 
I, they're a good home crowd. I wouldn't say they're like the stifling home crowd, and the Celtics definitely have a good, a very Miami's strong Miami's a crowd. pretty good away team. So. Yeah, but the, my, that's what I'm saying. Miami is a very good away team, mm-hmm. though, too. But they're going to be playing in a rowdy Boston. Oh, they are. Garden. Oh, yeah. yeah. No rowdy. question. And I, I Listen, I expect this series to go seven. I, I, I picked Miami to win in seven, but who knows? It could be the Celtics, you know? So uh, I, I expect, honestly, whoever comes out of the East could win the whole thing. I, I, yeah. I don't... I don't trust. I don't trust that Dallas is going to be able to hold up against Golden State. And Golden State, there's a lot of things about Golden State I don't like. And Actually, their depth might be the most concerning of the four teams left. Golden State because they're really I mean, reliant on three players. I mean, Boston is just the center of the sports universe. Okay, sure, the Bruins they got knocked out in the first round to a very good Carolina team. Uh, Boston is roasting Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. We Boston has a player who Errol said no good. No good. He hit three home runs tonight. Three home runs for Trevor Story. Oh, wow. Mm, Trevor Story. I never said he was a bum, okay? (laughs) Oh, I love Josh Donaldson better than Trevor Story. Yeah, how many home runs Donaldson hit tonight? Because Story had a hat trick. (laughs) (laughs) A hat twick, okay? A twick, not a trick. Oh, that's right. I got to talk like the bees. (laughs) 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 It's the referees. Snook says David Ortiz won a World Series almost by himself. Snook, we are not saying David Ortiz we're, is not a Hall of Famer. We're not saying he's not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> we're just saying it took Edward Martinez said, forever. We have not said. Said, we've not said, but if David Ortiz gets into the Hall of Fame, so should Barry Bonds, so should Roger Clemens. That's it. I think Right, but I think the problem with the whole thing is technically David Ortiz didn't test positive. Those other guys did test positive. He was, and now listen, do I think do I think Ortiz took steroids? Yeah, I do. So like, but I'm just telling you, there's a difference between him not technically testing positive and those other guys. I mean, dude, they were on cycle after cycle, like it was just nonstop. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. and and the and the way that Barry Bonds just treated people during that time, rather like, look, Ryan Braun took him. And was like, oh no, I no, I didn't take him. And then he got caught. And he was like, yeah, I'm an idiot. I took yeah, him. Yeah, and everyone right? hated him. Like, yes. Like, look, I'll, I'll give you another example of a guy that took steroids, is an idiot, in Andy Pettit. But Andy Pettit sat down in front of the media and was like, look, man, I'm an idiot. I made a mistake. So people forgive Andy Pettit. Barry Bonds told everyone else on the planet they were an asshole for even insinuating he did anything. And I think that's the part that gets him in trouble. If he had just said, yeah, I did it, people would probably look past it and go, ah, screw it. He was a Hall of Famer before the steroids when he was skinny. Right? Right. But instead, he he just went after anyone and everyone that said he did it. Mm. And that's not the way to go about things. Yeah, Snug also says the same thing. How you treat people matters. Bonds is an ass. A-Rod was a huge ass, and not hard to figure out why Ortiz gets a pass. He's kind, and everybody loves him. Yes, Snug, I know the writers don't work for MLB. Hold on one second. How is A-Rod an ass? Well, let's let's go back to that. Okay. Did A-Rod do steroids? Yes. Twice, yeah. Right, but right, but he, but he, he had a meeting with the commissioner, threw his briefcase at the commissioner, walked out of the meeting, and then walked straight up to the radio station and said, this is ridiculous, this is ridiculous, I didn't do any, and did he do it? Yeah, he threw a tantrum, he's an idiot. 
Okay. And that's not the way to go about things. But that doesn't it's make not. him an ass. He wasn't a bad person. He, he is He is an ass. No, he is an ass for doing that. You don't make accusations at people that you know aren't – you ever see the, the, the documentary on Netflix, Screwball? Yeah. And how Alex Rodriguez tried to have people killed? Yes. But he's not an ass, but he's trying to kill people for the documents about how he did steroids. And you're like, oh, he's not an ass. No, he is. He's a full-blown jackass. <laughs> Snug, I know the base, the MLB Hall of Fame, Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame writers are separate from the major league office. We were just saying the writers in general have a very stingy problem compared to other sports. And he a lot had, of it is because had, of these scandals. He had people break into that canning nuts car to steal the documents. He's literally committing breaking and entering. Wow. He's committing You didn't crimes. even hear about this? No, I didn't. I, I did. did not. I did. And listen. There's I, a whole documentary. There's a go whole. Watch, yes. go, go watch Screwball on Netflix. And it's a little hokey. It's, it's actually kind of funny because they have like literally have children play like A-Rod and the <laughs> other people in the film and stuff. So it's kind of funny. Right? But it, Young double A A-Rod. <laughs> Dude, it's it's really great. It's a really great thing. And they have the dude. They have the people that are like, yeah, I gave him the steroids. Snug says, A-Rod's arrogance is legendary. He's fun to watch. This team is special, I guess, referring to story. The defense is, or or he's referring to the Celtics again. The defense is smothering. Defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. I can't wait to see what the parade's plans look like. It's going to be great. Mark, Mark Jackson described the Celtics defense Actually, perfectly tonight. I respect Mark Jackson. He said, the Celtics defense are piranhas. One drop of blood hits the water, and they all go crazy. Oh, so it's basically it's basically a little shop of horrors with the whole basketball team? <laughs> I'm telling you. They're, dude, listen, collectively, they're a very good defensive team. Yeah, they are. Nobody's saying that they're not, Jeff. Now, who's, a, who's a better rim defender? Maybe not score like all around, but who's a better rim defender in the league than Rob Williams? Probably only go bare that definitively. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Rob Williams is just an elite defensive rim presence. He uh, uh, go find out how many blocks he had tonight. Speedy had to be four or five. Mm. Well, uh, I, I do want to finish up. I, I want to get into some baseball. I want to finish up with baseball. With the you ma- can start with Trevor Story's hat trick. Well, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, three blocks tonight. Yep. Um, yeah, he was terrific tonight. Terrific. They, they, they should call themselves the Green Machine. <laughs> okay. All right. They're going too far now. Um, I want to get into this Max Scherzer thing. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I, I've been talking about Max Scherzer since the Mets gave him that that extensive contract, and he became the highest paid player in Major League history. Over the summer, uh, after the the strike, the lockout was over. Uh, well, before the strike and the lockout, uh, yep. he got that money. And um, you you look at Max Scherzer, and I I, I think Max Scherzer is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Still, he is. But it seems like every single player that goes to the Mets never stays one hundred percent healthy. I said this to Mets fans when they made this move to get Max Scherzer. Now, again. Is it worth the tra- chance, especially with an ability, a, a pitcher of, with this ability? Absolutely. Max Scherzer. And if your owner has that kind of money, you, you open up your pockets, you spend it. Because if Max, Scherzer, if, if Max Scherzer stays healthy, you're getting yourself a, a dominant force and a dominant pitcher. But again, 
Max Scherzer is 38 years old. He's 38. He's not 34. He's not 33 or 32. The guy is 38 years old. He's got a lot on that arm of his. And he's never it's had a short a, contract. It's not. It's a three, three years. Two year contract. Three, three years. Three, three years. Yeah. Forty three right, million. You can't year. roast him. He's way outperforming the other highest paid pitcher in New York. Way oh. outperforming oh. him. Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole right now is he's Kermit. Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole right now has a two point seven five ERA. His WHIP is under one. I mean, and what's Scherzer's? Uh, what is Scherzer's? Go find Scherzer's numbers. I, uh, Garrett Cole has more strikeouts. I I mean, is he out pitching Garrett Cole? He's not. Garrett Cole's four and zero. I mean, is he really playing better than Garrett Cole? He's four and zero. He got roasted the beginning part. Yeah, of the season. see, what did, he no, what did he get? No decisions. The first, going, oh, the first two games. The first three starts of the, the first, season were doggy. First two and a half games. By the way, what what is Scherzer's number? Scherzer is five and one with a two point five four ERA. He struck out fifty nine. Uh, whip of point so nine four so six. The ERA is better than Cole's. Yes, his ERA is better than Cole's. Yes, that's See? Because, here we go. Uh, let's ERA is better. Let's let you want me to go to Garrett Cole's numbers. I'll, I'll go to Garrett Cole's numbers because uh, so he's outperforming the other highest paid pitcher in New York. Garrett Cole has fifty one strikeouts. Uh, he has a whip of one point oh eight and then a two point eight nine ERA mm-hmm. in forty three and two thirds innings pitched. And Max Scherzer has pitched uh, how many innings? Yeah, 49 and two-thirds. So they're about the same amount of innings. And, and Scherzer's got more strikeouts and a better ERA. Yes. Mm-hmm. There you have it. He's outperforming Garrett Cole. And if he was a Yankee... Garrett Cole is making, making $33 million a year to who 43. Cares the money, who cares it, what it, the money it, is? It, it means a lot. And now Garrett Cole... Get, by, the way, by the way, by the way, hold on one second. By the way, he is out for six to eight weeks, and Garrett Cole never gets hurt. He's always healthy. Okay? So what does that tell you? He, you're going to get more consistency from a younger pitcher who's going to be out on the mound, and it's going to help out this... Oh, by the way, the number one rotation... In baseball, okay. So say whatever only you want. Of Nestor Cortez. Uh, Nestor Cortez. So you, only because of Nestor Cortez. Garrett, Garrett Cole's pitching great this year. He's pitching great. So I, I don't know what he got roasted. Uh, in his uh, first fine, he got roasted, roasted in the first two or three games. That was because it was cold. And now it's getting warmer, and the guy has given up what two runs in his last four starts. Roasted. Two runs Absolutely in his last four starts. Roasted. All right. Well, good. Good. He should. Right. By your logic, he should pitch that great every time out. Hey, hey, if, listen, Scherzer, the... if Scherzer was a Yankee, you'd be getting teabagged by him every night. You'd be like, "Oh God, Scherzer's so great." No, I love I, him I, so I, much. I, I, honestly, no, Tyler would be. <laughs> I, I I don't like Max Scherzer. So first of all, I didn't want want Mike Max Scherzer There's from the beginning. Not to like about Max. Scherzer. I don't like him. I He's don't like. Him. I don't. Good. He's terrific. I don't like Max Scherzer. So there you go. So you're wrong. I, I'm not like all hippie on Max Scherzer. And by the way, Max Scherzer is 38, and this guy's 31. So say say whatever you want about Garrett Cole and the stuff. The age like that. doesn't matter. He, so, so age means a lot in baseball. He, so he's so he's outperforming him at an older age. Wow, that's crazy. Imagine if we had 30. Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole will be healthy all season long, and he'll be up for a Cy Young this year. Great. It okay. won't matter. The Mets, the Mets will st- are going to win the World Series this year. Yeah, you want to bet on that? No. I already am, so. <laughs> you want to bet on that? Because uh, I, I tell you this right now, they're not. So, 
You don't know that. No, but oh, I do. Well, then you right won't now. see the polar I bear do. tattoo. Their bullpen is horrible, dude. And it, there's no way they're winning the World Series with that bullpen. Yeah, but you want to know what? This is the problem with what you're doing. Oh, we there's go. no way they're Here winning. We go. There's a There's a trade deadline. They can make moves and okay. improve. They better and make three or four that. of them. They better make three or four of them because they're going to need it. Well, maybe they'll move Dom Smith and get something for Dom Smith. He doesn't want to seem to be in flushing. So maybe that'll happen. Mm. Right? What, what do you they, think they're going to they, get for Dom Smith? Dom Smith is a good player, man. Yeah. What do you think they're going to get for him? I don't know, but they can get an effective reliever somewhere, somehow. Yeah, there's a lot of player-for-player player swaps. All right, all right. Right now, as of right now, Dominic Smith, is his war is negative. He's at-bats to 69. He's batting 203, no home runs, and 14 hits. You think they're going to get a lot for Dom Smith? They're going to get crap they can for get, him. They can get, they're going to yeah, get they crap get a reliever, dude. They're going to get crap for him. A guy that's hitting 203 has no home runs? He's not yeah, listen, 69 at bats. That, there's players every year that get traded because of like you, you, they don't fit on teams or whatever or analytics or whatever. Jeff. And there's there's guys that'll that can Jeff. Be, go there and be a Jeff. Nobody is going to trade anything for this guy right now the way he's playing. Nobody. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It doesn't, doesn't have to be Dumpster. It could be minor leaguers. I, yeah, it could, it could be one of the other fringe hitters that don't get anything. Right. And relief pitchers aren't usually not, pricey. It, that, yeah. Yes, they are. If you want to get a good a relief I'm, pitcher. We're not, but but the, the Mets, I don't think, need a top-end one. They just need a lot of depth more. Because they have – Diaz and Smith are fantastic this year. The question is, can they get – Guys like Lugo to bounce back, who's pitched a little better, but still not great. Trevor May's still hurt, and he hasn't pitched well since then. Trevor May is not coming back for the rest of the year. Yeah, so you you need more depth. I don't I don't think the Yan- I don't think the Mets are pursuing just like one big flashy arm. They're probably going to go for two different guys. We'll that, see. And like Jeff's saying, I, because position players are going to have a lot more value, especially a left-handed hitter, a young team could end up going for that if they find they have an overperforming relief pitcher. Overperforming relief pitchers on bad teams get traded very often too, and that go could... look at the Mets' numbers at hitting against good pitching. They could just be trading. Go look at the Mets. Up. Go look Dude. at the Mets' numbers. Hold on. Go look at the Mets' numbers right now against good oh, pitching. Again with the numbers. Good pitching. Go go look at what they've done against good pitching. That's all I want to say about that. Go look at yeah, right. it because they played just, shit. Right, okay, excuse right, my language, fine, but, but they I'm have. Just telling you, they could, they could, they could trade Dom Smith for a guy that has like a big contract that might be expiring. Uh, you know what I'm saying? They, they don't necessarily have to get like get a guy that's going to be on the team long term. Like, there's always deals to be had that are done like that. Uh, you know, like they they could totally get a guy on an expiring contract. Yeah, it's it's possible. Whatever. The, the fact is, is that I'm not betting on the Mets this year to win the World Series. I, I, they're not even the best team in the National League, even though they All have the best power. Record. They got the best power hitter in New York. Mm-hmm. All of their power. Okay. The best power hitter in New York is Aaron Judge. It's, it's a fact. Go look at the numbers. Polar Bear yeah, he's power. got 14 home runs. Yeah. <laughs> it's That's Aaron Judge. Now. Polar Bear power will be ahead of him by the <laughs> yeah, end of the year. Okay. It's not even going to be close. I hope you're right, Jeff. But right now, Aaron Judge is off to a scorching start. Give me Alonzo all day, every day. Okay. Snuck says. Over, that, over baseball, uh, you know, stray hand. <laughs> uh, Stuck says they are quick. They have a lot of. They're long. They block a lot of shots and play together. Brightness and Green. The Mets don't need him at the moment. Hopefully, they could get arrested for a playoff push. See, we'll see because they other have. One. They have two other guys hurt though too. Snug. So they have to manage the starting rotation right now. Well, see, Miguel just got see, hurt, and then uh, Degrom's been hurt. Get Jeff. See, Snug's a genius. Greatness and mm. Green. That's mm. a great saying. Greatness and Green. Mm. See, that's an absolute genius mm. saying. We need more smart people like him. Mm. Yeah, greatness. Really. Green. Real smart.
Stock says Garrett Cole is a tough, tough playoff pitcher. Nestor Cortez has the best mustache in baseball, and I salute him. That's the first mention of teabagged on this show. Speedy, I, I can't wait to see Speedy's full back polar pair tats. And by definition, the Mets would have, have left to win the World Series, right? Good pitching. That's what make him good. Yes, if the Mets win the World Series, yes, I'd have They're to get not a, win. I'd have to get a full polar bear tattoo on my back. Yes. I listen. I would love to see that, but I don't think the Mets are winning World Series. So that's all. Yeah, um, and they're gonna have to stay healthy and manage injuries to do that. As properly. far as an oblique injury, we've seen this with pitchers. Syndicom. Syndicom. Yep. Uh, th- this oblique injury is going to be significant. Even when he comes back six to eight weeks, it's never going to be the same. Syndergaard, it took him two years to get healthy. This guy is 38 years old. Uh, it's not going to be easy. I, I'll tell you this. we work. Me and my uncle were working out our obliques today. I was teaching him some oblique workouts. Your obliques is really controls the core of your muscles. And, and, and when, you, when you pull and you sprain something like this, you're never the same. You have to really just, like, rest. And these guys try to get back, get back, get back. This is a significant injury. And, and, and this is a grade one sprain, being yeah. out six to eight weeks. Right. So uh, I'm telling you right now, Max Scherzer will not be the same for the rest of the year. This is a bad injury, and it sucks because now Jacob Degrom's coming back from another injury, and is Jacob Degrom going to be one hundred percent healthy? You're right. you're looking at your two dominant force pitchers, and while that Jacob Degrom's coming back, Max Scherzer's out, so we might not see Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom in the lineup together until August. No, you probably won't see that until at least either after the All Star break or like even just right before it, if Scherzer's. You may not need it. Scherzer, well, they well, need it. They they'll probably need it just because they have their bullpen is horrible. Tyler Jeff. Tyler McGill's now hurt too, so you're now dealing with Carrasco right at the top of your rotation with Bassett, and then Carrasco's also had his share of injury issues too. So who says he doesn't get hurt either? Bassett's the only one I would trust. Bassett's that's the only stay yeah. Bassett's the only one that's been durable if throughout his career. If he doesn't get hit in the head with a baseball, well, yeah, but that, that that's not I'm that, just that's saying. a freak accident. I'm just saying we all know it's a freak accident, but. The, the, Open the, your eyes when you talk too. The Me- the Mets the Mets because they don't have the bullpen depth they're going to have to trust guys in different roles kind of like what we're seeing with the Yankees this year too where y- the Yankees have made starters into bullpen arms and vice versa. The Mets might have to do the reverse with a lot of the guys that are struggling out of the pen. The problem is the Mets pitching depth in their farm system is nothing special where they're going to have to go after some veterans. And if those guys can't stay healthy, it could be a problem for them because then you're going to have to stretch other guys out, have to go to openers a lot of the time and overuse your bullpen. Mets all the way. They're winning the East. Mm, good. I love the Mets this year. Congratulations They're to great. you. Yes. Anyways. Glad you could jump on the bandwagon, Jeff. Mm. I, listen, I'm a fan of the Nets. I, of Mets. I think they're the best team in New York. Mm. Best team in New York for sure. Congratulations. I can't wait. I can't wait to see them in the playoffs this year and go further than the pinstripes. You're an idiot. You know that? You're just a child. You really are. You just want to see him get that tattoo. That's what it is. Well, that's what Snug wants. Snug's, Snug's ready for the tattoo. I could care less about the tattoo. I just like to see the Mets have success. I think Uncle Stevie is doing great things. Well, congratulations to you. Now, um, to finish off. What do you guys what do you guys think about the uh, the Saban uh, Jimbo Fisher feud going oh. on right now? We're going to get into that. I just want to finish up with baseball quick, and then we're going to finish that. That's the last topic we're going to get into. Um, uh, also, um, there's the executive executives coming out right now with the Nationals looking to move Soto. Why I think this isn't going to happen right now is because Juan Soto is not playing well, and even though. 
I look at Juan Soto right now. He's a superstar player. He's one of the best players in the league. Statistic-wise, he's as good as anybody, as good as Mike Trout. And he's 22 years old. He's got a lot of baseball left. First of all, he didn't take the two contracts that were offered to him by the Nationals. Even at the lockout, he was offered 13 and 350. He didn't take that, and, and I, I think he believes that he wants to be the first $500 million player, which he probably will be. I just see right now where the game is and where they're moving, the Nationals are moving. If they trade Juan Soto, it's a complete rebuilding stage, and they're going to have nobody going and watching those games. Juan Soto is the face right now of that franchise. He's got three years left on that contract. I can't see... The Nationals parting ways with their superstar player, especially where they are right now in the National League East. It's gonna be it's gonna be a very competitive market too, and that's gonna make it hard for the Nationals to try to pick out the best offer too, because the Nationals are not really in this kind of position where they can't just settle for one type of offer because it's gonna be a competitive market. The Blue Jays, the Padres are the two lead teams right now. We've also heard the Giants be very interested. And I we've know, heard the Mets. Too. I know you've mentioned. I know you've mentioned the Angels as well as mm-hmm. being a team that could be, definitely make that kind of move. The I Mets could, have the money. The Mets have the money now. It's gonna be a lot tougher for them being a division rival, so they're gonna have to over really overspend in order to do that for, to get the... They have a good farm system. They do have a good farm system, but I mean, in terms of pushing, he, they might not get the same kind of leverage as a team like the Blue Jays, who are in the American League, or a team like the White Sox comparatively, where that's going to make it you, hard. I think if you put Pete Alonso in that trade with a bunch of prospects, you could get him. Yeah, so it's definitely possible for the Mets. It's just going to be, it's still going to be harder. Now, you're right. The, the numbers for Soto, his, his power's still been fine. He's got eight home runs, but 250 batting average down, 11 RBIs. Yeah, that could be some contributed to team play. Most of his home runs are solo home runs this year. But yeah, those numbers are definitely going to have to be boosted up for them to get the maximum out of it. Yep. Because you got to remember, too, they traded Turner and Scherzer in that one nice trade with Horrible the Horrible trade. Look what Turner's doing right now. Yeah, but. The Nationals got well with that. Ever Beyond that, trading their core pieces, they haven't been able to do it very well. Meanwhile, they did the other extreme when they were contending and traded a lot of their top guys that to, for veteran players and really overspent in order in a lot of those trades in order to get good relief pitchers that didn't pan out there. How many years are we saying the Nationals had a terrible bullpen? They were kind of like the Mets for a while. They bring in these big names and they didn't have it. So they decimated their farm system too and now are going to try to make the up Blue for The Blue Jays make a lot of sense. They have a good farm system. Yeah, they have right. some good young players right now on the team. You can you could trade one of those guys on, on the main roster right now, one of the young yep. superstar players. They're not going to trade Guerrero. He's untouchable. But uh, the other two guys that everybody keeps talking about, they, um, where their fathers used to play in the major league, Biggio could right. be a guy. B- Biggio's struggling, too. So yeah. he, he might be, get a fresh start with Washington. Bichette's another one. Bichette's another one. You so got Gurriel Hernandez in the outfield, too. Yeah, so they, already... they could trade away one or two of those pieces right. and maybe a couple of prospects, and that'll seal the deal. And that's why a lot of people believe it's, it is the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays are looking to move forward. Obviously, they're in the same division as the Yankees and the Red Sox and the, and the Rays, so they got to compete and they got to c- stay close to the those teams, especially with the power and the money that the Yankees and the Red Sox have in that division. So um, I, I do believe that one way or another, Juan Soto will be gone, but it's not going to be this year. I think it's going to take at least uh, an off season for a team to really uh, negotiate a great deal where they're going to get six for one. That's what's going to happen. You're going to get six players for one. Juan Soto's 22. Next year will be 23. This guy is going to be the highest paid player in the league. He's one of the top three players in the league right now, and he's 22 years old. Uh, and he's already won a World Series at right. the age of 20. 
Okay, yeah. so and he's got so much value though too that is still going to be on on tap potential. He's durable. He doesn't strike out a lot, which is hard to find in a lot of these young players, even some of the top young players in today's game. So you're you got something special there if they could just boost the numbers up a little. Because yeah, you're not three ninety three on base on base percentage is very good, but two fifty average definitely could be higher. And eleven RBIs, you definitely want to boost that up too. It, now, obviously, going to a team like the Blue Jays or the Padres, that'll change in a much better lineup. And just but, so you know. Stuff- Douglas says Mets are already the, the best team in New York. They're not. It's not even close right now. The Snug knows what he's talking about. Yeah, well, Snug's an idiot. So that just that shows you he is not paying attention to what's going on in the game of baseball. So whatever. Let's get into uh, the finishing touches of the show. Uh, the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban feuding over uh, the rules and paying players. So, and I listen, Nick Saban, we know he's very outspoken. We know what Nick Saban thinks. The game is the game should be played the way it was years and years ago. And Jimbo Fisher, Texas A and M, they're paying players to come over there and play for Texas A and M, uh, and they're the richest school. Like Jeff says, they're the richest school in, in in college football, so they could do whatever they want. And Jimbo Fisher now is sitting there on a on a gold mine because right now the way uh, the NCAA is working with these. Uh, these kids making money when they're going to college, it opens up the floodgates for all these players to want to go and play for Texas A&M where all the money is there. So I could see why Nick Saban is complaining. Here's the reason why I think Nick Saban false. should shut his what, – what, what false? What, what's false? That's, I mean, that's all, that's all crap. Why? It's all crap. Why is it crap? None of, none of what Nick Saban was doing today or yesterday yeah. or whenever that was – Yeah was about Texas A&M paying players. Okay. If you've ever been to the parking lot of mm-hmm. any university that has a good football program, yep. they've all been paying schools for a very, they've all been paying kids for a very long time. Yep. Right. All, all that was, was pointing out to their alumni. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's other schools with money. We got to start to step up our game. That's the whole point of that whole thing. And should he have mentioned Jimbo Fisher? Should he have mentioned Texas A&M? No, he shouldn't have. He should have kept his mouth shut and done it in a different way. And I can see why Jimbo Fisher would be upset because Jimbo Fisher has a good point. Go look at Nick Saban's history. It's not very good. It's not very good. So if you think he was making some noble stand uh, against the way the game is going, you're absolutely wrong. Because Alabama has been paying players for years. Yeah, and there will be. All this was was a cry for help to the alumni. Get out your checkbooks. There will be a ripple effect, too, because Alabama doesn't have to necessarily, I guess, prioritize it uh, to the extent. Yes, they're going to be paying players under the table. They've been doing it for years, too, as any power program is going to do. Yes. Every school has those speedy. If you're a fan of any big college football program, they all have. Yeah. Right. What did Reggie Bush lose his high school for? Mm -hmm. Right. They all have any anyone who thinks that their school runs a clean program. Right. It's because you're at Rutgers and you stink. (laughs) Well, go look at the movie The Program. If you've ever seen the football movie The Program, that movie really shows you uh, how football and how college football really is and and the way it works. And uh, each and every one of those schools have these. Or blue chips. Blue chips, too. Right. Just because it was basketball doesn't mean it doesn't apply to Shaquille O'Neal and Anthony Hardaway. Right. Right. All of those things are all happening. And and Saban should have kept his stupid mouth shut uh, about other people's programs, right? That's that's a no-no. You don't speak out of school about uh, what other people are doing. Because, by the way, 
everything that they're doing is all now within the rules. Right. right. Yeah, and I think the leverage point, it comes from the fact that Texas A&M probably has to rely on that a lot more, as does Texas and a lot of the other schools and all these rich recruiting type things where obviously Alabama's going to have leverage just because of Nick Saban, who he is. But Alabama's also getting it from the transfer portal now, too. It's not, it's not like they're trying to only be old school and be so stubborn that they can't evolve. They're going to do it, and they have to do it at this point in order to do that. Now, Texas A&M, they got to prove it on the field first because uh, they may have all these five-star recruits best recruiting class. They still haven't proven anything on the field. They were close two years ago in the shortened season. They were the first team out of the college football playoff. Well, Jeff actually picked Texas A&M to win the whole thing this year, right, Jeff? I did not. I did was not. Was it you? No, I, I have not. I said right now I might be leaning Texas A&M. I like some of the things that they've done. Maybe it but they're not that. top 10 ranked. They're, top, they're, they're only ranked 14th, I think, preseason. So I haven't okay. officially made a pick. I haven't officially made the pick, but I, I do like Texas A&M. And listen, the other reason why Nick Saban mentioned Texas A&M is because he's jealous. Because mm. now Texas te Texas A&M, by the way, has it's not even just the best recruiting class this year. Their recruiting class is the best recruiting class of all time. Wow. Of all time, any recruiting class. It's the highest graded uh, recruiting class ever. Any, any recruiting class. Mm. So he's jealous of that, number one. And number two, he's jealous. Who did Alabama lose to this last year? <laughs> Alabama lose to. Yep, they can. They they right. couldn't handle that uh, not great passing attack, and then Isaiah Spiller running all over them. Yes, right. So so Nick, this is nervous Nick Saban singling out a school who he can see is clearly on the rise, mm. and not for. I don't see a lot of, but Alabama's still getting a lot of really good players. Oh yeah, but it's not like it was four or five years ago. It's not. Georgia has taken away uh, some recruits from Alabama. Tennessee has now taken away some recruits. Texas A&M has. So they have more competition now than ever before. And you're seeing petty Nick Saban and how awful he can be. Jimbo Fisher, some of his comments were pretty funny, though. Oh, you're, you're a god. You're a czar. You just think you're going to conquer all of college football. Yeah, well, now the money's in effect. Uh, so have fun with that one. But he does, though. But Jimbo Fisher is right. He no, I'm not. I'm not saying he's wrong. He I, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's what he thinks. Honestly, he's, honestly, Jimbo Fisher really doesn't give a crap what he says. Honestly, he does. I, no, he does. I, I, right now he said these, yes. But you don't see any other coach, no matter how much they hate another school, right, dude? You don't. Every Oklahoma alum, student, uh, booster, everybody just shit all over Lincoln Riley for leaving. Did they not? And yes, you didn't hear Lincoln Riley say a peep. He was like, I enjoyed my time at Oklahoma. I'm sorry they feel this way. There's no way Nick Saban should be doing this to another program. No other coach does this. It's despicable. He's a disgrace. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till the next time Mark and Garrard He's a disgrace. <laughs> Jeff <laughs> You're laughing, but name another coach of any. No, I, 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 I'm that... laughing at you because of the way you you said it. He's a disgrace. <laughs> I just think it's funny. He is a disgrace. He I is a disgrace. I think it's he funny. doesn't know. He doesn't know what A and M did or didn't do or any. He might have ideas or speculation about it, but he doesn't know for a fact anything that happened. Right? No, yeah, got, I think he's only he's pointing out the extreme level or in comparison to like the percentages of it, but every school does it, so it, it, it's become got, more of a right. norm. Right. He doesn't he doesn't like that A and M players make money, but Bryce Young's getting eight hundred thousand right. this year, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So so what are we doing? 
What are we doing? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if he would have, uh, he would have rather had that than to lose your top quarterback over a bigger NIL deal or a big, bigger school that could get you that. Not that obviously Alabama's a big school, but to get the endorsements that type of it way. Is a big school. No, of it course, of course school, it is. Though. No, no, I'm saying. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure he, he wouldn't be making that comment if Bryce Young, uh, if, if Bryce Young transferred, and then all of a sudden you lose out on that. But this is what's funny about the whole thing. He's he's mad that A and M players probably got money. Where was this press conference when Bryce Young got money? Mm-hmm. Was he outraged when Bryce Young got money? Oh yeah. Was it? Oh, I can't. I can't believe that we would do. No, he didn't care at all. He loved it. He was eating it up. Mm-hmm. You Imagine if this happened shovel. a year ago too, when Bryce Young didn't even start yet. <laughs> Bryce Young started last year. No, no, no. I mean before the season. Like if this that rule went into place like then and all this stuff where A and M was in place last year. Oh, it, it was okay. I, no, I, I okay because Bryce. Uh, Mac Jones obviously started the championship team and Bryce Young because he didn't win the job at that time. So I'm just saying, imagine if that didn't happen then when our, so maybe it was two years ago, that off season, the, the COVID year. So if that happened, then all of a sudden you're, t- you're he could be singing a much different tune. Right. But that's what I'm saying is he, he wasn't outraged when his guys were getting money. Was he, mm. but, no, but now other teams are catching up to his program and he's all jerked off about it. And they have to find like, a way to on. do it. I mean, what, what are these schools not going to just, they're not going to try at least. I'm not saying I'm guaranteeing Texas A&M will beat them in a regular season. I, I would have thought that Sweeney was going to be the one that was going to cry out and stuff. He like already that. has been. I know. He but, already yeah. has been. but they, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten involved with this feud, but. But, but Swinney, Swinney is a different story. He does it. He cried out about it because uh, he's a control freak. Yeah. Right? He wants to be able to punish kids if, if he doesn't like them and things like that. And and these kids now have choices, right? Screw, I can play four weeks and then go right to the bench and say, screw it, I'm transferring, and there's yep. no penalty. He can just get out of there, right? Mm-hmm. And Swinney doesn't like the fact that kids can do that, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, and, and it comes down to accountability, right? Like, the, these coaches don't like that players are getting some power, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because before they needed letters to be able to transfer out. And if you didn't get a letter, you couldn't go to another school without sitting out a whole year mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And because for years and years and years, all of these coaches were able to show up these kids' houses and sit in their living rooms and eat their mama's cooking and look them in the eye and lie to them, mm-hmm. Right. And now when you lie to a kid, there, there's a consequence. If, if, I, if Speedy's a wide receiver and I walk into Speedy's living room and I sit down with him and I say, Speedy, great nickname. We need an outside wide receiver. Your nickname's Speedy. Come and play. You're going to play every down. And you ride the bench. You don't want to be there anymore. Right. You want to play. These kids want to play. And that's what it is. They're losing power. Yeah, and, and for going back to Devil Sweetie, Devil Sweetie was the same guy that complained to players. What was it, Ohio State, four or five years ago, not playing in bowl games all of a sudden and when they didn't why, make the college football playoff. And that's why Clemson's never going to win again because of it. Well, I wouldn't say never again. Their their program's certainly on a downturn, and they're probably not going to get a whole lot better now that Venables is at Oklahoma. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean their 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 big thing was they were a. You know, even when they had good offensive players, Lawrence and Etienne and and Powell and and you know all the receivers that they've had, yeah, that Mike been Williams, very good. all those guys, yeah, right. They've all they've always still been known as a defensive team, right. Let's see how good their defense is now that their great genius defensive coach is now gone. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. And and he and he's a loser. Dabo Swinney's a loser. That's what he is. Well, there you go. Thank you, Jeff. He's the worst. Thank you. And Jeff. I can't wait until you have Mark and Gerard on. Oh, I I, I know you're going to rip into them the next time they're on the show. I can't wait for them to try to defend Nick Satan, right? <laughs> And, and because, because that's all it was, that's all this was, was a cry for help. Oh, please. Great BMW dealership. Please bless my program with money. That's what, that's all it was because he's a petty loser, loser. This is, this is what Kirby smart has now done to Alabama. He's put Nick Saban's head in a blender. That's it. One championship loss and your brain's in a blender. Now he doesn't know what he's doing. And now I got to complain about other schools. I can't wait for the, the Texas A&M matchup this year. Max Johnson is going to throw for a billion yards in that game. A billion. Georgia's defense winning in more ways than one. There you go. I'm telling you, dude. This is why Alabama and their people and their fans and their students and their alumni are so insufferable, so completely insufferable. You're going to complain about another school when they've been cheating for years and ignoring it and going, oh, we're God's gift. We're so great. Get out of here, you bums. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. Oh, man. (laughs) Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen. I love him. He he's very passionate, and his college football is definitely uh, his uh, specialty. So uh, yeah, and, and so is ripping Dabo Sweeney, and uh, so is uh, praising Georgia, ripping New York, and all that other stuff. He, the only New York team he roots for is the Mets, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, so which is weird because two years ago he would never praise the Mets. <laughs> He's, he hates the Yankees because he's a Red Sox. Oh, we knew that. We knew he hated yes. the Yankees. But yes. he, he hated both of them at the same time for the first three years I was with us that work. work. He is a piece of work, by the way. But that's it. A- anyways, uh, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody had a good time. Thank you to Chris Nimbley, uh, JetsInsider.com, editor-in-chief. And, uh, thank you uh, to co-author of Incredible Baseball Stats, uh, Ryan Spader. He was fantastic. fantastic too. Yeah. Really, really nice guy and very funny. Uh, he enjoyed coming on with us. He's been on so many other shows, and you heard what he had to say. He loves that we were ripping off uh, uh, ripping everybody. on uh, everybody. Just Rob like Manfred him. in particular, though. Yeah, well, because we don't care just as much as he does. So, I mean, at this point, who doesn't rip on Rob Manfred? <laughs> I, I think I think everybody and their mother rips on the commissioners in all the sports because they're all idiots. But that's just my thought. I thought Adam Silver was, you know, one of the best until he let LeBron James run this whole, you know, organization. I remember, I remember three years ago, I thought you were crazy for thinking that Rob Manfred was worse than Roger Goodell. Yeah. Now it's looking, it's looking reasonable. No, Rob Manfred's the yeah, worst. Now it's he looking, the worst. looking like that. Theo Epstein, I, I, I hope in 2024, <laughs> I think he didn't take that match job because I really believe he wants that job. He really wants that job. And by the way, St. Louis just scored again. It's 3-1. to one. So, this game looks like it's on, on its way Nine out. And a half minutes for Colorado to come back. So, St. Louis looks like they're... Uh, Going to tie this series 1-1 going into game three in St. Louis. Anyways, uh, that's it for our show. Uh, again, thank you to our guests. Thank you to Jeff, uh, the Beeve, all the fans that listen to us. We really appreciate all of you guys. Check out uh, the Weekend Crunch if you are here on Long Island, 103.9 FM. Uh, iHeartRadio, if you're not here on Long Island at 7 p.m., it's a great show. It's funny. 
Um, and we definitely give you everything we have, just like the Sports Loudmouths. Um, we will be back next week on Tuesday. We have two shows next week, and then we're going to be taking a week break. Speedy's going on this main tour, whatever the yep, hell he's going. We're going to Maine in an RV. Yes, and I'm going to Florida. I'm taking my girlfriend's uh, sister to move over there, so we'll be gone for a week. We'll be back the week after on Tuesday. So, uh, so it'll be a week of no sports loudmouths. I know a lot of people want to jump off the bridge if that that's true, but uh, um, we will be back. It's the first week we've had in really forever. I mean, we've done a show all the time. Yeah. So even um, even on even on holiday weeks, even even in different yeah. locations, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we've so, we haven't missed the show. It's two shows. Uh, we'll be back a week after, but uh, next week we're here. Tuesdays and thir- Tuesday yep. and Thursday we'll be here. Uh, and we will be doing the weekend crunch, and then uh, we'll take a week off, and we'll be back after that. Yes, no, Speedy's RV adventure, yes. Uh, Speedy's RV adventure, yes, uh, with his family and his mom. Uh, his mom's going to uh, do some funny things, right? Yes, yes, she will. Yes. Not the funny things you're thinking, though. A lot of funny things, you know. And uh, Snug, you got to send her cupcake, cupcakes or something, <laughs> you know. Cupcakes so she can sit on it and light it Sit on it? Yeah, sit on really? it. <laughs> Why you don't like that? She would not sit on a cupcake. Why not? What's because she likes cupcakes to eat them. So why can't her ass eat the cupcake? She would not want that. Well, why not? Because it'd be a waste of a cupcake. <laughs> uh, I, I think you know you it, the ass has some taste to oh it too, right? God. Right? No. Why? Why? I mean, it, it does, be? but she's not going to want to eat eat it. I think the cupcake with the ass is a good idea, don't you think? Of course you do. I love to eat cupcakes with Speedy's mom. I'm sure you do, Snug. Well, you're going to have to eat it with your ass because that's the only way she eats them. Nope. That's the only way she eats them. Nope. (laughs) That's the only way she would never eat them. Actually, that's the only way. Actually, it's not the only way, but it's it's one of the ways she will never eat them. Well, there you go. Um, Again. Uh, we'll be back next week on Tuesday. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Beatty. Say goodnight. We'll talk to you then. Good night. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.